0: Will the sun
1: Welcome to Miss Checkpoints, the Video Game Book Club podcast. Today we're starting our discussion on Bioshock Infinite. I'm your host Marcus, and joining me today, as always, are the homies. First off, we have Trevor. What's going on? We have Dante. What's up? Last but not least, we have Greg. Yep. Um, As I said before, we're playing Bioshock Infinite. Um, This is the fan submitted game for December. Um, and with that, I'm going to let Trevor kick it off with the background information.
2: All right. So I decided to include a little bit of background info just on Irrational Games and the first Bioshock game. But on August 21st, 2007, Irrational Games released a game called Bioshock. It was a spiritual successor to the System Shock series developed by the same team. It was a first-person shooter that gave us our first look into the fictional underwater city known as Rapture set in the 1960s. It followed Jack, whose plane crash lands near a lighthouse as he navigates the strange city to figure out the story behind Big Daddy's Little Sisters, Splicers, and a man named Andrew Ryan. Bioshock was highly praised across gaming publications and left us wanting to see more of the strange world of Rapture. On February 9, 2010, we would get just that in the form of Bioshock 2, developed by 2K Marin, which allowed us to explore more of the underwater city through the eyes of one of the first Big Daddies. Bioshock 2 was met with positive reviews, but it would not be until March 26, 2013, that we would get a proper title helmed by Ken Levine and Irrational Games with the release of Bioshock Infinite. Bioshock Infinite, another first-person shooter, became began development after the release of Bioshock in 2007. It was first exhibited at Gamescom in 2010 and will go on to win awards for most anticipated game for the next three years. It features Detective Booker DeWitt, voiced by Troy Baker, who is tasked with finding and delivering a girl in order to wipe away his debt. It is set in 1912 in the fictional industrialized city of Columbia that happens to be suspended in the clouds. It is here, locked in a tower, where Booker DeWitt discovers Elizabeth, who possesses a mysterious power to traverse space and time. Between Zachary Comstock, a religious fanatic who founded Columbia, to Daisy Fitzroy, the leader of a misguided rebellion, and a giant robotic bird, Booker finds himself in the middle of all of Columbia's drama, and he also confronts his past mistakes.
1: Oh, you done? Yep. <laughs> oh, you just kind of stopped, and I'm like, oh, uh, is he gathering himself or was what? Is
2: that, that thorough enough?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, that was perfect. That was perfect. All right, so as Trevor said, um, Bioshock Infinite, he gave a little breakdown of the story, uh, but we're going to back it up a little bit. Um, I believe I'm the only one here that has not played Bioshock, a single Bioshock uh is that correct? You all of you guys have played the first two games, correct?
3: Actually, I'm I'm gonna get you on a technicality. You did play the first. Bioshock. All right,
1: all right, yeah. Let me. Yes. He's Story fine. time. So, I basically played the first section of the first Bioshock until you get to the shotgun part, and then like the lights go out, and then like there's laughter and spookiness, and I'm not I'm not here for being creeped out or wigged out and I'm, I'm a big chicken when it comes to like scary stuff. And that kind of wigged me out. So I was not, I wasn't there for that. And then on top of that, the, uh, I was not a fan of the hacking. I couldn't figure out the hacking uh, mini game or whatever. I know it was like pipes or like that popular game. And I would always mess up and lose life. So I was playing that first, whatever length of time, Basically, one hit away from dying. So I didn't. That game did not stick with me long enough to me even like have a lasting impression with that game.
0: So the first time I played Bioshock, because I bought it whenever it originally came out, that was the exact reason why I stopped playing it. Like I was just creeped out, and I was just horrible with like I just I couldn't do anything that felt like kind of scary or creepy. So I played like maybe the first two hours of that game and just dropped it. Like, I'm that.
1: glad I'm not
3: the only one I'm glad I'm not the <laughs> one. Greg I'm assuming you didn't come back just based off of your record
0: no no actually so um I think it was maybe I forgot how long Bioshock Infinite had been out but uh I think I was going through like game of the year stuff with Giant Bomb and they were talking about it mm. and then I kind of wanted to go back and play that game but I was like you know what I'm gonna go ahead and play all of them so um I think around like a Christmas break or whatever. I played through 1, 2, and Infinite just like within a week. So I actually went back and finished them all.
3: Man, I hope the fans are keeping track, just like a tab of Gre- games Greg has
1: beat. <laughs> <laughs> Only the best so far, right? Bonnet, yeah. Commando, and this. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, what about you, Dante? Oh, what was that, me? Yeah, how old is your uh, past with the Bioshock franchise?
3: So I did play them in order from what I remember. There's a chance I did two after Infinite, but I don't believe that was the case. And I don't know. Like A lot of people kind of hate on... I don't even say hate. They just don't believe that two is up to the same standard that one was. And while I enjoyed one a lot, I personally preferred 2 just um, from a gameplay perspective because I pretty much ran into the exact same thing you were saying with not hacking, but the general difficulty of the game. I always felt like I had like 20% health no matter what I did. And 2 just kind of, I guess it opened up a couple more combat opportunities and I felt like it was more fair for the player. So overall, I ended up enjoying that one more. Played Bioshock Infinite not too long after release, and I don't really want to give away my impressions of it just yet.
1: uh, Actually, before I go to Trevor, neither of you guys have played the System Shocks before, correct?
3: No, I hadn't. No, I downloaded, um, I guess this is a good thing to point out. I believe the original System Shock got a remake on Steam, and I can't remember if it's an official thing or a fan thing. But it's out there, and it's something I've been meaning to play. I just haven't got around to it. Is, is 2 the one that's well-regarded, though? System Shock 2? It might two? be System Shock 2 that got the remake. And yes, I think that's the one that's well-regarded. Okay. Yeah, System also, Shock
2: 2 was the one that was created by Irrational Games. Yeah, I was going to say, also, Minerva's Den
3: is acknowledged as one of the best DLC packages from last generation. Fake
1: news. Fake news. <laughs> Mass Effect fan, salty. Salted news. It's um, uh, let's go to you, Trevor. Um, How's your? What is your history with the Bioshock? Actually, I know your history with the Bioshock, but I want you to <laughs> tell everybody else. Um,
2: well, Bioshock was one of those games I had to like force myself to play through because I was with you, Marcus. Like that that game had me on pins and needles.
1: Yeah, I I actually, if I remember correctly, like, I was there when you were transitioning from being a PC gamer to, like, a console gamer. Yeah. But I think Mass Effect and Bioshock were the first two games you got on 360. And you, I knew, I think you loved Mass Effect right from the jump, but I think it was Bioshock took you a little bit to get into.
2: Yeah, it's one of those games that's, like, uncomfortable, almost. And so it it really took some time. I think I want to say I took a break after I started it and then I came back and just kind of pushed myself to finish it. But when I when I did get to the ending, I liked it so much that I immediately went and got the um the sequel uh, which I never finished, but I did enjoy like BioShock because of the story.
1: That that world and the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it was Dante that said this, but I've um I don't necessarily have a history with Bioshock, but I know here locally I um, was meeting up with some guys to play some fighting games, and they, you know, they were asking how about the podcast, and we were talking about the fan vote and everything, and I mentioned to them that Bioshock was in the, the running, and they kind of went on like a spiel about how, quote-unquote, bad uh, Bioshock Infinite is compared to the other two, and um, I think one of the guys actually kind of shared the same um uh, Sentiment that Dante yeah. talked about yeah. as far as, as, far as, as like he... As he, like he uh, I hear, I hear echo. echo.
3: Oh, that's me, my bad. Let me. Uh, uh, okay, it should be fixed.
1: Okay, good, thank you. Um He was saying that he preferred Bioshock 2. I think he said that the... Uh, kind of like you said, the gameplay felt better. But he did think that the first game had a better story. So, like, there was bits and pieces of each of the games that he preferred... Um, and I don't, I don't remember what he said about Infinite besides it was a bad game.
3: Yeah, sounds like a hater to me.
1: I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, um, I, I know, like, I listened to video game podcasts, and I remember uh, when people were talking about Bioshock Infinite, and it seemed like a lot of people spoke highly of the game, like, when it first was released, but it didn't seem like it had a long tail. So it didn't seem like a lot of people were talking about it at the end of the year when they were, you know, doling out awards and everything. And even recently when then the, this game came out, what year did you say, Trevor? Uh, 2013. So it's a four-year-old game. And I think uh, the the time since the game's release has not been kind on its legacy. I don't feel like a lot of people, I think in the moment, people held the the game in like a high regard. But as time has progressed, people have kind of pooped on this game in a sense. It's like, oh, it's not as good as the other ones. It's kind of you know the the worst one in the in the franchise and all that. So I uh, even heard some things about how story elements in this game was not handled well. So guess it was a fan submitted game, and it was my choice because having heard a lot of people's opinions, 2017 opinions about this 2013 game, I was like, I need to know about this game and I want to find out about it. So uh, that's kind of why I chose this game. And I was hoping that you guys would, it would be an opportunity for you guys that have played it to kind of get like a, look at this game with with a new perspective now, you know?
3: I got two quick things I want to add. Okay. So... On launch, Bioshock 2 got a lot of flack for um, adding a multiplayer component. And this was a really, really big thing where people were kind of outraged in a way. It's like, why are you adding multiplayer to this single player experience? And in some ways, it's a little forward thinking when you think about it, like in regards to modern games and like Uncharted and like The Last of Us getting single player mode or um, multiplayer modes on top of the single player campaign. And that's kind of the new norm for most shooters.
1: I mean, Bob, Bob, Commando* even did it. So, you know.
3: Yeah. So I guess it was a bad time for games, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) everything had to have like a progression system too.
3: That's also true. But the other big thing was um, Trevor, correct me if I'm wrong, but is irrational still with us?
2: They downsized, and they changed their name. Um, I think they're like Ghost... uh... Sorry for putting you on the spot, but I just (laughs) remember there being a big thing
3: about maybe a year after this game came out, I'd like to say, where financially, or I guess critically, it was a success. It sold a lot of units, from my understanding, but it just wasn't enough to keep the studio afloat, I believe.
1: It actually, I pulled it up on Wikipedia, it did get restructured. So it went from, this was right after the release of this game, it went from 90 employees to about 15. And this year, uh, February of this year, they uh, rebranded themselves as Ghost Story Games. (laughs) Still under the Take-Two umbrella, but a new name and a smaller team.
3: Tick 2 is like low-key the new EA between Team Bondi and L.A. Noir, Bioshock Infinite. One day it's just going to be Grand Theft Auto and NBA.
1: Probably. <laughs> um, sure, sure. Um, do we have any other background things we need to go into? Actually, this is a, another random thing, but wasn't the first Bioshock like one of the most egregious or like First examples of like the pre-order bonus where you like had a super big like a collector's edition for a game that was like nobody had like there was no um it wasn't a sequel it was a brand new game and it had like a statue of a big daddy statue right something like that and that was really big controversial like really big controversy back then it was like that was when pre-order bonuses were like the, at their height almost then it was like what the heck? Why is this game, like that nobody has ever played, have like a hundred and thirty dollar collector's edition?
0: I feel like something else around that same time did that, but I can't remember that far back though.
3: Just a quick Google search shows a two hundred dollar Bioshock tenth anniversary pre-order thing.
1: I don't know. I, I thought maybe it was a uh, the first game. But maybe my memory—I do see that tenth anniversary thing. But I, I could have sworn there was like a. Uh, maybe, but maybe I'm wrong. But uh, anyways, uh, let's 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 dig into this game. We've uh, talked around it enough. Um, first off, what console uh, were you guys playing this on?
0: Uh, I originally played it on PS3, but I'm playing on PC now. trev I
2: have it on 360. But I popped it into my Xbox One, and it worked. So I'm playing it on Xbox
1: One. <laughs> and Dante? PC. And um, I'm playing the PS4 version. I, got the, I ended up buying the uh, Over Black Friday. I bought the uh, collectors, or the, the collection, excuse me. So I, I know at some point I'm going to go back and play 1 and 2, and it comes with all the DLC as well. So uh, for all three games, so I was like, uh, might as well. It was like fifteen bucks, so yeah. Um, story time. No, no let's let's start let's start with the gameplay. Let's start with the gameplay. Um, so as Trevor has said previously, you play as a character named Booker the Wit. Um, he is. Hired, He's hired by um, some, some people to basically... He, he owes a, a great deal of debt, as he said, and he's uh, ordered to cl- uh, travel to Columbia in order to find uh, Elizabeth and take her back to New York, I believe, is where he's supposed to be returning her. Uh, and uh, you find yourself in a lot of these situations running and gunning um he has uh powers which my brief time playing the first bioshock is a a, a trope of this game so it's a lot of it's a first person shooter with uh some magic abilities or uh i think in this game they're called like figures or something like that they're basically spells that he can do with his other hand is that that's across all three games that's like a, a franchise uh uh, that's the thing the, for this franchise, correct?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and the first game they were called Plasmids.
1: And the Underground City.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, the underwater city. Oh, and you underwater. basically took yeah. like this you took like this syringe and injected yourself with it.
1: Is there actually I do have a question. Is there any through line between cause this game is set in nineteen twelve and you said the first game is set in nineteen sixty? I'm assuming the second game is set after the first one. There's
0: something uh, that I happens, but I don't know. Ten years after.
2: Oh, go ahead. Oh, I think it's ten years after. After the so, first game,
1: but because it's an underwater city versus a or underwater establishment versus a uh, an air city, there's no other like nods to. Is there any nods to because I'm assuming they're in the same universe or same canon or whatever? <laughs>
0: There's definitely a nod, but I don't want to spoil it.
1: Okay,
2: okay, cool, cool. Yeah, that's that's going to be a big discussion on our next episode. Okay, okay. Sure.
1: Well, um, throughout the game, uh, you find these bottles. Uh, like Trevor said, in the first game, you inject them. In this game, you find bottles uh, that you your character pulls the top off and he, he drinks. And then you see a short little uh, tutorial about how to use the ability and what it does and so far in this game, I believe we have about seven abilities, and you can cycle between any two of them at any given time. Um, is there... Are these abilities... Like, are the abilities themselves, are they similar or, like, essentially abilities that you have in the first game or second game? They're
3: mostly new. Um I think the only returning one, correct me if I'm wrong, actually there might be two, the... Um, the fireball one might be returning. The yeah, I
0: think they had that in the first one.
3: The shock one is definitely a returning thing.
1: Okay. Albeit was, it might be rebranded
3: those, or something like that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Those were the only two that I played up to in the first game. So I wasn't sure if the other things were new to this game or not. But there, there's a good bit of variety um, amongst the uh, abilities you have. So there are, um, as he said, there's a fireball ability. There's a. Like, Electricity ability. Um, there is an ability to like lift enemies in the air and basically levitate them, so um, you can shoot them easier, like from behind cover or things like that. There is an ability to send a horde of crows to attack the enemies, and they kind of like peck them and kind of stun them. And then there is. What are some other? Oh, the possess ability. Um, there's an ability where you can kind of send the spirit out from your hands, and it uh, any body that you uh, humans or like turrets or machinery, it will possess that thing and it will become an ally. And uh, so the enemy uh, the enemy forces will focus fire on the possessed enemy. So you can kind of get the drop on, you know, basically you can enter a room from one side, possess something at the back of the room, and then they're sandwiched between you and your now ally. So there's a good bit of variety in the the abilities. How do you guys feel about the abilities in this game? Um, is there, there, there's the, you can quickly select it by just quickly tapping the button, or if you hold it, you can lay down a trap. So each ability has two different modes i guess you could say how do you guys feel about the abilities of the game and what stands out and uh, ability wise what was your most used abilities at the halfway point that we play to i'll start with you trevor so
2: i think one thing um that kind of stands out with the um with the vigors is the traps i don't know if i can't remember if you could use those in the first game or not
3: I think you can, but I can't... Don't quote me on that.
0: I thought you could make traps in that game, but they weren't necessarily the plasmids. I thought it was just like, you could make them. I might be misremembering, though.
2: Gotcha. Yeah, that was... um, Like, when I first played Bioshock Infinite, um, I don't don't remember using the traps at all. Like, I basically just aimed and fired. Like, I would use the Devil's Kiss or the... um, uh, what do you call the shock jockey? I would use those and just kind of throw them at enemies. But this game, um, or this playthrough, I'm kind of not really playing strategically, but just kind of having a little bit more fun with the with the vigors, like setting up traps and and trying to lure them into different things and combining the the vigors. Um, but so far, I've been using the shock jockey and Devil's Kiss a lot and also the um, bucking bronco
1: okay um and i guess we also just say too uh, as you're like moving around the stage and everything there are sections of the stage uh that you can basically environmental interactables so you might see like an oil slick or like a puddle of water and depending on the power or the ability you use you could you know, opponents standing in a puddle of water, they'll take an additional damage um, being uh, hit by shock. the shock ability. So there's that element, as well as certain enemies, uh, some of the bigger robot enemies not being affected by specific uh, abilities. So there's a little bit of a strategy involved with your your quote-unquote loadout that you choose as far as your spells. Um But uh, what what spells have you been using, Dante?
3: So just to go back a little bit, um, the Cyclone trap was in Bioshock BioShock and Bioshock 2. And that was kind of the equivalent of traps we have in this game. So it was a single ability that you were capable of using as a trap. Um, For this game, I've pretty much stuck with Possession and Murder of Crows for most of the game especially after you upgrade Murder of Crows, because you can upgrade each one twice. Murder of Crows special ability essentially makes it so if you kill somebody with Murder of Crows, they become a trap. So you kill one person with Murder of Crows, Murder of Crows spreads to the adjacent enemies, and then you can just take them down, because the special ability of Murder of Crows is to do more damage to everybody that's affected
2: by it. So it's been really helpful. So in that regard, if, if Murder of Crows kills one enemy, and that enemy becomes a trap, and then another enemy walks into that trap and gets killed by Murder of Crows, if he's killed, does he become another trap?
1: I, I believe, really so. I believe so. I believe so. I believe so, because... Um, I'll go ahead and go my piece. Uh, I've also been using, for the most part, of the possess and the Murder of Crows, like Dante, um, Kindred Spirits, you know. Uh, <laughs> and I it love-
3: doesn't deal with a bionic arm, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but I, I pretty much... Uh, that Murder of Crows is my favorite ability. As soon as I got... Like, I missed it in the game. Like, there are specific sections in the game that you find this new ability. And for some reason, the part where you you get this ability, either the guy didn't drop the bottle or I just completely overlooked it. So I ended up having to buy it in a vending machine. And as soon as I bought it and I saw it, I was like, that sounds like a cool ability. And I used it for the first time. And I was like, yo, this looks so cool. Um, And also, yeah, I should point out too that uh, whenever you drink a Vigor, um your character the entire time you can see both of your character like he you know, both of his hands on the screen, ripping the bottle open and drinking it or whatever, and then you see his hands react and that's kinda how they you don't know what it is that you're drinking, and then you see like uh I think was with the uh this murder of crows, you can kind of see your character grow a little bit of like feathers on his black feathers on his hands briefly and then and then it takes you to the um the tutorial video where it shows you what the ability does and a lot of times what i would do uh is based off of how cool the vigor animation looked i would determine like if i'm going to use that power or not because a lot of times too when you're running around his his uh, he's holding the gun with his right hand, but his left hand is on screen, and it has like an idle animation where you can kind of see his hand freaking out based off whatever vigor you have selected. So a lot of times when I'm running around, i fight, I just want to see a cool ability while I'm running around, so I'll make sure I have that ability selected. And I I felt like the Murder of Crows was one of my favorite. Uh, All right, breaks. if we're, if we're if we're gonna
3: put together like a top five list of like. Hand destruction. (laughs) Like, where do we? Like, I feel like Murder of Crow. Actually, the fire one's really cool too, because it like disintegrates your hand the first time you drink it.
1: Uh, that one is cool. I, I I have a like. When it comes to elemental stuff, like um, like I think of like Pokemon and Avatar. Like for some reason, I'm always drawn to the water abilities. And so when you get the water ability. It's kind of cool. Where it's like octopuses are coming out of your yeah, room, like the little like slash that, that part was really cool, but then I like the ability that you could pull characters to you, and so I really like that. But it's the problem is is that I feel like you always have to have possessed. Like that's like an instant. Like no matter what, I always have that ability selected, and then for my backup one is whatever one I think looks cool. So I've been using Murder of Crows for the most part because I also upgraded that one pretty early. So that one is like at tier two where all my other abilities are like tier one. So that kinda also dictates that I why I use that one. But I I'm that's a strong contender for me, the suction cup hands. Um and let me let's let's kick into Greg though. What what abilities stand out to you, what you've been using?
0: Um, uh, mostly what I've been using is possession, then uh murder of crows and then uh every now and then, uh I'll use shock jockey just because I think that one's pretty good because I think I'm not hundred percent sure but it seems like this works every time you hit somebody with shock jockey uh the next shot that you do just like pops their head. So it's really easy to take out a lot of enemies with that. But usually I'll just uh I'll go in a crowd and I find whatever enemy has like the most armor and then try and possess him. Try and get him to like take everybody out and then kind of uh, use shock jockey sometimes to take out some of the other guys or uh, stun some of the bigger enemies and then uh, also use murder of crows kind of to control the crowd a little bit.
1: Do, do any of you guys like when you get into a scenario, combat scenario, do you even see the interactable elements?
0: Sometimes I see them, like I'll notice, like. I think there's only been maybe one time or a couple times where I'll see like the oil slick and i am be like, oh yeah, let me go ahead and try and use Devil's Kiss to try and uh, burn a bunch of enemies, but for the most part I think I'm so focused on like, like game planning that I already have that I don't really deviate that much. Yeah, like after yeah. the fact. Exactly, like, um,
1: and it's really weird to me, like I will go into a room, see enemies, and I will like kill enemies, and then I, like, I, I basically go in a room, as soon as I see enemies, it's like tunnel vision.
3: Yeah, there's like a tutorial 101, like right after you get Shock Jockey for the first time. It's a big story beat. The first two people you run into in the very next room are just walking through this water. And I just happened to have a shotgun at the time, so um, I dealt with them. And then I looked down. And I'm like, oh, they definitely wanted me to use my new ability right here. Darn. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to say that Shock Jockey has been underrated by all of us that thing will destroy one of those Patriot um, machines that you have to fight occasionally. Oh yeah. Uh,
1: I, all right. So the reason I, at first I was like, man, why did I start talking about this thing? This game's a shooter. Why did I start talking about the abilities first? But I kind of wanted to ask you guys as we transition into, do we need to talk any more about the vigors and like the abilities Did we properly talk about them? I guess the only, the the only other thing we need to say, and we can kind of talk about this later or like kind of get into it now is your abilities. Um, two things actually, one, you can only have two at a single time. So they at least have a clean way of transitioning or switching over. If you're like in the middle of combat and you do see like a oil slick or a puddle, if you hold down the, uh, the button to use the ability you can, or not, I'm sorry, a different a button. You can kind of toggle, quickly toggle to another ability and the game action and all that pauses. So you can kind of breathe and like, okay, what do I need to pick? And there's no rush or like, you're not hurried at this part. So you can like make the right selection as far as the ability. Cause it just brings up like a, a dial wheel. Right. Yeah. But, um, the, uh, The issue that I have with the abilities is the fact that you have to. You don't use mana in this game. It's called salt. And uh, you run into a lot of items that give you salt. There's bottles that give you a lot of salt or whatever, restore your salt meter. And then there's food and drinks and stuff that you can eat that restores your salt meter. But I just feel personally it's way quicker to go into a room and use your guns than it is to use your powers. It, personally. So, like, I think you're supposed to use a mix. I know you're supposed to use a mix, but like, a lot of the scenarios that I'm finding myself uh, getting into, like the rooms early on in the game, the enemies they do... Um, I think it's... They're forced to do this, whatever, but... Are they're designed to do this, but the enemies you fight early on in this game, they just just run straight at you. And you're supposed to, like, at this point, you only have one ability, and you either have, like, the pistol and the machine gun, or, like, I think you only have those two guns, so they're not necessarily ranged. But as you progress later on, you get other weapons. Like, there's a carbine, there's a sniper rifle, there's rocket, there's RPG, there's a hand cannon, um shotgun. So you get a, a a variety of the standard shooter guns. And I feel like at that point when they introduce some of those later guns, the enemies don't run at you as often. And like I've upgraded I I've upgraded my weapons to the point where I can like quickly just do two, three shots with a carbine to kill like most of the fodder enemies. So I end up just doing that instead of using my abilities like i'll, I'll use a possessed on like a, a heavy enemy and then that's it like I, I usually use like maybe one or two spells per encounter and that's i know like i'm not necessarily playing the game the way it was meant to be played but like i kind of feel how you felt about monica Mando now where it's like the shooting in this game feels good so i'm just gonna enjoy that aspect of the game you know
3: oh yeah this is totally a shooter
1: but I I, just, I know I'm like going at the game in or differently or I won't say incorrectly, but I'm not you know fully utilizing all of the elements at my disposal, you know uh,
3: I mean it's a need to need um, like a need to use basis. so when you say you use two vigors or two spells or whatever per encounter, that's probably more than I do to be honest.
1: Oh, okay. Because like, um, I've I'm not purposely going for like any of the trophies or anything like that. But I noticed that there were some trophies for getting X amount of kills with this weapon or this weapon or this weapon. So like, I've uh, been experimenting and trying to switch around with the different weapons to see which ones I like. And there's a good amount of variety in the different types of guns you have in this game, um, which I feel like. For it being a shooter, like there's at least 10 different guns in this game, which to me seems like a lot, but I'm not mad at it at all. Um, so but,
3: speaking of guns, what's everybody rolling with in general?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted to kick it to, so you can, you can start. I'll start with you, Dante. Cool,
3: so my go-to gun's been the carbine. It's just this I think that's the best weapon all-around in the
0: game. weapon. Huh? I feel like that's like the best weapon in the game so far.
3: It's so good because if you're, let's say, mid distance away from an enemy, they kind of have an issue shooting you, and you have like ample time to just line up that shot and get a headshot. It's really easy on PC at least. So I've been sticking with that, and really I've been able to just go from Patriot and in- to Patriot and get their chain gun, and that's normally my secondary. If I run out of ammo with that, I'll switch to the shotgun, which does work. I'll just say it that way. So those are pretty much the only guns I've I use primarily. Occasionally I'll use a sniper rifle in like a really big battle when I have a vantage point. Occasionally I'll use the rocket launcher if I have like a boss type of enemy I need to take down. But carbine is life.
1: What about you, Trevor?
2: I use a combination of the carbine and the hand cannon. And this is probably one of the only games where I actually like using the sniper rifle, but the problem I have with using the sniper rifle in this game is you never get to a point where you're only uh, you're only going up against like enemies that are far away. Like whenever you have enemies that are far away, you've also got enemies that are that are coming at you too and sometimes Trying to use that sniper rifle, um, you know, doesn't work in that situation. So, you know, I've I've pretty much been sticking with the carbine to to stay at like a a mid to long range.
1: All right, Uh, Greg. Uh,
0: Mostly the carbine, um, hand cannon, and then I can't remember if it's the burst gun or the repeater that we get at this point. I I think it's the one with the scope yeah 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 so uh. I've, been, I've been using that too <laughs> yeah um,
3: that's the burst gun
0: okay um but yeah the the carbine and like hand cannon are pretty good at taking things out like you know one or two shots in carbine like i'm using controller on pc but i feel like the auto aim is pretty generous that like you can always get headshots with it so it's probably like the best thing to start off an encounter with
1: yeah i'm i'm voice uh or excuse me I'm pretty much using the same exact things as you guys like uh i I've been switching it up so I, I did use the carbine and the crank gun the uh, patriot gun for a while but then once you get the hand cannon I was like yo this is my gun and I'm not normally one to use like the super powerful like magnum slash pistol gun but I really like it in this game but uh one of my I think underrated guns are, like, th- this is, like, maybe my third favorite gun, and I like to, if I can find it, I always have it, is the volley gun. It shoots, like, a, um, it's like almost like a grenade launcher. Like, the, it shoots, like, a kind of art, like, explosion. Uh, I don't know what you call it, but it shoots, like, a. It's like a cannonball. I guess, yeah, it's like a cannonball. Like it's kind of like the Torbjorn's gun in Overwatch. It kind of shoots like it's not super accurate, and it doesn't do like a huge explosion or anything. But it's very strong. I I find like a couple of shots with that, even on like stronger enemies, takes them out pretty quickly. Um, And yeah, like kind of what I was alluding to for me personally, it's a lot easier to. Find ammo in this game or easier to build up ammo in this game than it is for me to like restore salt in the middle of a fight, like a, a long combat scenario. So a lot of times I end up like cycling through two to three different guns in the middle of a combat scenario. Whereas like, I guess another one of my complaints with, or another one of my complaints, like a thing that I don't necessarily like in this game, but I understand it's like, any enemy you kill and a lot of this game, you can loot, but it doesn't stop the action. And so it's pretty difficult to restore um, salt when you loot a body because you basically have to like tap X, tap or, you know, tap whatever button to look in their inventory, then tap another button to pick things up. So a lot of times it's easier to just run around the battlefield. You see a gun, just walk over it and hold down the button. You automatically swap weapons. So it's a little bit easier in the heat of the moment to swap out a gun versus, like, trying to restore your salt meter, uh, which is another reason why I just typically opt to use guns in combat scenarios over spells. But I I do, like, I do try to combine the two because I do believe that is the best way to play the game, but... The guns feel really good in this game, so I I end up using those more often. Are you salty? (laughs) Yes, I'm salty. I'm salty. Um, And uh, I guess the only other... There's two other gameplay elements, so um, we'll talk about the... Actually, are both of these new? Um, I know you said one is new, but is gear new to this game?
0: I feel like that was in another one, but again, like it's been at least like four I or five years since I played.
3: New, but I, don't quote me on that.
1: Well, um, you if, in this game, you get gear, and we're we don't know, or I don't definitely don't know if it's new or not to the Bioshock franchise. But um, your character can wear, uh, I believe, four different articles of clothing, so a hat a shirt, a pair of pants, and shoes. And you don't see your character. I don't think it the change... Like, you know, you're playing a first-person shooter. I don't even know if there's... any At any point, you see a reflection of your character. So I don't think it changed how your character looks. But it changes some of the elements. It is new. Dante confirmed it is new. But it changes how your character plays. So there are things like... Um, I, can, I know what I have equipped, but there are things that like, oh, when you melee somebody they take fire damage or they take shock damage or um, if you uh, pick up this specific item you get cash or things like that. So um, I've been <laughs> specking my character, I guess you could say, um, towards my playstyle. So I have something that Increases my, me- like, my melee range is three times the normal melee range. Uh, my character sides strafes and walks, he moves basically a lot faster than you normally do in the game. Um, he has uh, a shirt that gives him 25% more ammo capacity with all my guns, and I forgot the other one, but I think it's another one that, like, just makes my guns do more damage or something like that.
3: Damn. What let me tell you about the one I think it's a hat. You put it on. Headshots do one point five times the amount of damage. It's so I'm be
1: honest with you guys, I have not been going for headshots. Like I I I use the carbine, but I'm not good with those type of scopes. Like the, the down the sights type of scopes. You know what I'm saying? I don't I don't know what the the iron sight—is that what it's called?
3: Yeah, they're iron sights.
1: I'm not good aim- at aiming with those type of uh, sc- sights, so I just do like three quick body shots, and they're down. So I'm not—I'm not going for headshots like you guys are. My brother, you—you
3: so. you don't understand. This game is so good at making you feel like an absolute like murder machine. Every time you get a headshot there's a certain tinge of like this like sound and you know it's like man
1: yeah he's down for good i'm, a, I'm gonna say something and you're it's probably gonna make you kind of sad but you know the best game to get there's two games in my head that are like I my favorite god games marcus if you say bionic arm, <laughs> bionic no, arm no, no, or whatever. no 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 so one of the games is specifically when you have the skull on but like halo when you used to get the headshots and it, you, like if you had the skull on, the confetti would go and then the children, the, yeah! yeah, yeah. I think that was, a, I would have been your daddy's skull, I believe. Um, yeah. and, and the other game, one of the most satisfying games ever to get headshots in is uh, Borderlands. I could I could
3: understand that. But still, just anytime you get a headshot, just, just pay attention to the music.
1: Alright, well, I will try to aim for the head then, I guess. <laughs> but uh yeah what, what have you been uh uh rocking gear wise trevor
2: so um one of the main reasons that i've been going for headshots is because one of the pieces of gear that i have equipped um creates a like a i guess a shock jockey effect whenever you get a headshot so it shocks other enemies around them and I've had that equipped for pretty much the entirety of, of the playthrough. And then I have another piece of gear that whenever you melee an enemy, they catch on fire, they take fire damage. Um, another one that increases ammo capacity by 75% okay,
1: for all that's weapons. The one I got. Yeah, that's the one I got.
2: And then I believe the last one I have increases my um my melee distance by three times
1: yep yep i actually may have switched that one out for there's one that it knocks your opponent back the butt like when you when you melee them they get stunned and they get knocked backward might have that one i think now. i
2: got that one another interesting thing i just read when i was looking at the list of all the gear you can find the gear drops randomly yeah, we'll so, like, so experience that.
1: What, what you mean, like, like what you get at a certain point may not be what somebody else gets, right. right? Okay. Like, there's
2: certain gear that only spawns in certain locations, but it's it's random. Yeah, like for example, I fought the crow guy, and the fight wasn't going
3: as I wanted it to go. And right before him, you run into this um, room where you can find a piece of gear. So I restart go back to that room and then I noticed it's a different piece of gear, one that was not the one I was wanting. Or at least it wasn't as good as the one that I got before. So I was pretty upset about that.
1: Yeah, like straight up and I thought it was kind of silly actually because like all the gear that I've been using the entire game was the first gear that I got. Like I've looked at everything out like I think I've only switched out one of the pieces throughout my entire playthrough. All the other stuff, like, there, you go into a saloon, and it has, like, six pieces of gear. And, like I said, three of the six that I picked up the very first time when they introduced the gear system to you, I'm still using it. So I was thinking, like, why would they give this stuff to you early? But either my game knew my play style, or maybe I just, like, catered my play style to how my gear was and I just like it and I haven't switched.
2: I don't know. Well, you're using the, um, the collectors or not the collector's edition, the complete edition.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the that has well,
2: DLC like yeah. it came with my game actually came with pre-order DLC. And so that might be what I have um, like on my account because it started me off. I guess since it started you off with some of the same gear that it started me off with, then it probably came with your game.
1: Oh, so we got, like, specific gear at that point because we're running, like, a collector's or complete edition or DLC, I guess yeah. you would say. Like, oh, yeah, like DLC. a pre-order
2: bonus type thing.
1: Oh, well, dang, now I don't feel that special.
2: <laughs> That's probably why it feels OP,
0: too.
1: Yeah, what, uh, yeah right? <laughs> and what about you, Greg? What you been rocking?
0: I completely forgot. I had to boot the game back up to even look at what I had. Um, so, I've got the ammo cap, which uh, when shooting empty clips have 40% chance of auto-filling without reload. Uh, scavenger's Vest, which enemies provide ammo upon death 40% of the time. Uh, urgent Care, decreased shield recharge delay by one second, increase shield recharge rate by two times. And Vampire's Embrace, which is melee kills, give health.
1: I think I actually have one too. That I think my last one that I had was like reduce my reload speed or something like that. So like mine is straight up like busted caps. That's my my loadout. <laughs> this is like <laughs> how, <laughs> how much lead can I can I let out? So um, I guess uh, let's let's talk about the last new thing in this game, which is the sky hook. Uh, I really <laughs> I would, the very, very first combat encounter you uh, you come into, you get the Skyhook, and it is like your melee weapon and your weapon slash uh, ability or tool to traverse around this, this world. Um, as a melee weapon, it's... I guess depending on what gear you have, it can be good. So there, there's some of the gear in this game. Um, your melee does fire damage or does shock damage or something like that, or, you know, you can knock them back, or you can melee a lot further, but they also have, like, the, uh... What do they call it? The, the, the execution? And, uh, yeah. it, it's... It, I, I really like the, the hook for the executions, because you get to see some some pretty brutal executions. Uh, it, it The sky hook is basically this thing that you put on your hand that looks like a, a fidget spinner. Really? And, um... <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> it looks like, it looks like a fidget spinner. And so like, there is was like, a hit of its time. Right. <laughs> and, um, it, uh, like he, he freaking, uh, chops people's necks. You know, he, in, uh, inserts the sky hook into people's chest or people's stomachs or their faces, or there's a lot of like gruesome killing in this game. Uh, because, or executions in this game because of the sky hook. Uh, so it's a cool uh, melee weapon, but the main use for the sky hook in the game is to grapple onto things. So you can grapple onto vantage points or sky rails in this game and uh, see new areas. It, it, it opens up some of the exploration elements of this game and it allows you to. Zip around, especially on the sky rails. Sky rails a lot of times are set up around a combat scenario, so you can use your sky your skyhook to zip on a sky rail, and then you just start. It's basically like a train track, and you're just on rails at this point, and you're just going around the level, and you can hop off at any time. You can kind of get the jump on a lot of enemies that are behind cover. Uh, enemies use the sky rails also, and uh, it's. It's really cool. Like th- this opens up combat quite a bit in my opinion. And this is another reason why I've not used Vigors as much cuz I'm any chance I get when I see Skyrails, I'm on the thing. I'm 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 going. I'm, I'm moving around and everything. So uh, how do you like the Skyrail in this game, uh, Greg? I'll start with you. Um, <laughs> excuse me like the sky rail, the Skyrail, the Skyhook. The Skyhook.
0: Yeah. Um, I feel like it's cool, but the only thing about it, I feel like there's not or I don't know, maybe I feel like there's, I haven't felt a need to use it that often other than to kind of get out of uh, situations, basically. Um, other than that, I feel like there's just not a whole lot of opportunities to use it except for like specific fights in the game. So I kind of wish there was a little bit more time to use it. But outside of that, um, that's like the only issue I have with it, really.
1: Um, I'll go kick it to you, Dante.
3: Yeah, I'm pretty much in line with what Greg said. Um, I normally use it if I need to escape a certain scenario. Occasionally I'll use it to do a drop-down attack or whatever they're called, the skydives, and that's a very powerful thing, but at least on hard, if there's more than one enemy around, I would recommend against it, because the other enemies will get you while you're taking down the original guy. Also, aiming from the skyhook is kind of troublesome, so... Normally if I'm trying to shoot, I'm doing it from the ground.
1: Trevor.
2: So as opposed to what Greg said, well Greg and Dante, um I use the um the rails in order to I guess catch enemies off guard. And I don't know what it what it was, but for some reason in my first playthrough Enemies were a lot more likely to jump on the rails behind me when I played. But this time around, it seems like I can never get them to jump on the rails. But that was one thing I tried to, to use to my advantage was kind of to get them to follow me. And then I would reverse real quick and then just pull out a shotgun shotgun or hand cannon and take them out on the rail. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so satisfying.
2: But I do want to know, Marcus... So um, I asked you earlier, but skyhook or Bionic Arm?
1: Um, all right.
2: Oh man, you're making <laughs> it go against
3: brand. That's messed all up. Right. That's, that's really messed up, Trevor. I, I think want everybody to know that's messed up. The,
1: the thing, the thing about this is, I I'm the skyhook is a lot more fun to use in in the game. Um, so the, it's kind of uh. One thing I like about one, one thing I like about the other. So, getting around the level, it's. Bonic Armor is way more useful because, like, you use that for everything. But actually using it in combat, and um, I think the Skyhook is, is better. And uh, I think what you said because I've been using the Skyhook a lot as well. One of the things I don't like about it is uh, kind of what Dante said. You can't really you can aim with the your gun, but you can't, like, zoom in or use your scope or anything. So, like, for those two, specifically, if you guys are playing to get headshots or whatever, that's a lot harder to do with the Skyhook. Um, and then on top of that, too, if you're using abilities, you can't use abilities on the Skyrail. Your vigors. Like, that was something else that I noticed. You can't use those. So, that also kind of sucks if you're playing that kind of play style. But, like, nothing like trevor said there's nothing more satisfying than being chased by like two or three dudes on the sky rail hitting that like reversing and jumping on the other line switching to like a super up like an up close gun like a um uh shotgun and just killing all three of those dudes and also like i got to the point where i was like well i think one of the early um um fights you there's a bunch of different sky rails and you're like by a ferris wheel and i had a sniper equipped and i just wanted to be a try like a like i just wanted to try to see if i could do this because you couldn't scope so i was just trying to one-shot dudes like with my sniper as i'm going and it, oh it's so fun it's just satisfying to like kill somebody with a sniper that you can't zoom in with and yeah, it, I, it's really fun to use the sky rail, so I'm I'm really digging that aspect of it. And like Dante said too, there are like powerful melee execution style uh, drop attacks you can do on people too. And um, but I, I do agree with Greg to an extent too. Like you don't necessarily need to use the sky rail. it's just fun. The only time that I absolutely need to use it is when you fight specific types of enemies that we'll talk about later that are a lot stronger. And it's like, oh, I can quickly use this to get away from this person and create some distance. Um, but it's not necessary, but it's really fun. And I do like the... I don't think it's a, like, it's a cool addition to this game. Like They're in a new environment and they had to do something to kind of freshen it up from the uh, the way the game was. And I don't think gear alone would have been good enough to like oh yeah this combat is a lot different than you know the first two Bioshocks so I do like the addition of the Skyhook it's made this game a lot a, a very fun for me so I'll be interested to go back and see like playing a Bioshock game and seeing like oh they're taking I'm, I'm going back to this game and I only have these two things instead of these uh, three things so kind of seeing how combat changes going back will be interesting
3: the other interesting thing about the skyhook in specific is, um, part of it makes me wonder if the if they had more plans for it, I guess, because you see all of this gear, and I've at least gotten gotten like six or seven things that are like get off the skyhook and um, do X amount of damage, or get off the skyhook and be invincible for like five seconds, or get off the skyhook and run around faster for 10 seconds and stuff like that. So it makes me think that it, at one point they had a lot more grand scheme for the thing and yeah. they just kind of
1: backed off of it at some point. It's weird because that gear seemed like I would say there's a sky rail, like what you think, like, this is probably like a conservative estimate, but like one in every five to seven encounters, there's a sky rail, you know? Do you think that's like a relatively good estimate?
3: Say one, one every four or so.
1: So it's not like you're like specking gear specifically for a single encounter every four encounters doesn't seem like a. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, none like, of that gear <laughs> seems viable. Yeah, like you can use it, but it's like you're not any like. It's not like when you the, the, You're at the Skyrail segments. It's harder, or like you're fighting bigger, better enemies. You know, you're fighting the same enemies you normally fight. And they're just like on, you have access to this other traversal option. So it seems kind of weird to have like gear specific to using this thing that you only see every now and then. You know, I I don't and for I, there I, to be I, so much of it too. Yeah, yeah. I've i definitely run as about four or five. Like when I ran into one or two, I was like, "Oh, so there's going to be more skyrail segments in this game." And now, like we're like you know a little over halfway through this game, and I've seen like five or six, and I'm like, "Who uses this? I want to be that person." You know, <laughs>
3: I'm sure there's some like sick YouTube combo vid or something. Definitely,
1: definitely. Like, yeah, there's definitely the people like I'm going to use the not least viable, but the like most underplayed thing, and try to you know do something sick with it. So there's definitely those type of people, but I'm just like. At no point, like, I love using the Sky Rail, and I wouldn't use this gear because you don't get to use it enough, you know? It'd be like a waste of a slot, in my opinion. So there's that. Um, is there any other gameplay things that we need to hit upon or circle back around? Or is it time to dig into the story?
3: Do we want to talk about enemies here or once we get to the story?
1: Um, I think we should... Cause like, at least, let's,
3: let's talk about the AI, at least, and like the combat design and stuff.
1: Okay, okay. well, uh, I'll kick it to you then, because one of the things that... For me, coming into this game, I didn't know what to expect, because I hadn't played the other games too long. Uh, I thought this game was going to be kind of corny, or like, I, I didn't like at the very beginning all the enemies just ran at you. I was like, this is very boring. And it was just like... Enemies run at you, and there's a turret that you have to deal with. And like, is that like the gist of this combat? So it was uh, refreshing as you got later on. Like, I think the enemies got smarter, or I don't know what, but uh, they were just designed differently. Because the moment enemies stopped running at me, I was like, okay, cool. Like, it kind it kind of was like, um, I won't say it's the same, but like, just because we just played this game, when you were saying like the enemies in Bonnet Commando don't really react to you shooting at them. I kind of felt the same way about this game. Like, yes, they – I think they try to sidestep you sometimes and everything, but, like, I would think that, like, after I just mowed down your three homies that ran directly at me, this fourth guy wouldn't do it. But, yep, here he comes. He's just running straight at me, and I didn't like that. But it it got a lot better as the game progressed, and, like, there's a – uh to tell it like the enemies have gotten a little bit more intelligent as the game has progressed
2: yeah so
3: just to slightly backtrack when I was talking about enemies not reacting to shots I meant like literally just yeah
0: like them not standing there
3: and like at least here they recoil
1: yeah yeah like, definitely like it's it's better in this game but I'm saying in the sense that like if
3: <laughs> yeah I, I get what you're saying too and I'm I'm about to address that so yeah, they definitely do run at you, and they're definitely not... It's not like Halo, where if you kill their leader, they're just going to start running off and stuff like that. But I do like the aggressiveness of the AI here. They, they will actively try and flank you sometimes. They also have the little skyhook thing, so they'll get on the rails and try to get behind you. And I I found myself in multiple occasions where I'm like trying to snipe, and then all of a sudden I'm getting meleeed from my like six. I'm like, what in the world's going on?
1: It's only like I've, I've noticed that the flanking seems to only ha- like well, maybe it's just because of the, how easy it is to get behind you, but the flanking only seemed to happen on uh, when there was a sky rail, you know? Yeah, it's
3: generally like in the bigger open ended battles, which there aren't really that many of. It might be like one in every 10 encounters you might run into something like that.
1: But yeah, I, I definitely have had the same situation where like I'm busy zoomed in fighting people, not necessarily paying uh, paying attention to my surroundings. And then I see like I'm taking damage from behind or, you know, and it's like, oh, shoot, there's somebody here. I also like the
3: synergy um, between certain enemy types. So sometimes they'll just throw a lot of um, the human grunts at you. Occasionally they'll throw a turret at you. And when the turret comes, my first um, instinct is always possess a turret let everybody turn around and fight that for a while and say a Patriot comes in. And then it's a matter of causing the turret to turn on the Patriot. And every scenario causes me to think a little bit differently than the last one.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, what about you, Greg? Oh, sorry about that.
0: Um, as far as just kind of the enemy encounters and like how they like the type of enemies they throw at you,
1: yeah, just like the um how they react, you know, and like like just a typical combat scenario.
0: Oh, um, yeah, I mean, I think generally it's it's set up pretty well most of the time. They, I mean, they react to shots, and the one thing that I do notice is kind of like what Dante was saying earlier. They kind of what you said as well, they they do flank. Um, I haven't really had too many issues with them kind of coming up behind me and, like, really messing messing me up. Usually what I'll try and do, as soon as I notice it happens, I'll kind of bring up the uh, vigor menu so I can kind of see exactly where they're shooting me at and then like, okay, well, let me get my variance real quick and then try and assess the situation that way. But, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's programmed pretty well
1: one of the things I like too is uh, with the specifically with the possess ability, the moment you possess something, it immediately draws their attention. So I do like in my in my head, the canon is is that like I'm possessing a the strongest enemy or the enemy that is the most heavily armored. And the reason they're all focused firing on that is because it's the biggest threat. And I know that's probably not the case. Like, I I know I could probably possess, like, a super just normal grunt enemy, and they would all react the same way. But since I'm playing to, you know, have the the strongest ally, it makes sense for them to, like, focus fire on it. So it, it makes sense in my head the way they react to that as well.
3: That's something else I really appreciate with this game, where if you play a lot of shooters, it'll always feel like you're getting singled out. In in some cases, like Halo, it's like, okay, Master Chief, this dude's this powerhouse. Of course, everybody's going to go after him. But I was playing Call of Duty Advanced Warfare the other week, and I'm with a squad of, like, 12 other people, but it's so painfully obvious everybody's just shooting at me and not any of the other people. So the fact that this game, like, if you possess something, the enemies turn around, they stop paying attention to you, at least partially, for a good 10, 15 seconds or whatever. Like, I, I noticed that.
1: Yeah, that, that definitely feels good. Um, uh, any Anything you need to add, Trevor, about the enemy encounters? Um,
2: yeah, I just agree with Dante. Like, um, like, enemies really do get behind you and you don't see them coming. Like, that was the issue I had using the sniper rifle a lot of times. Um, one thing I will add is this game does a really good job of hiding spawn points for enemies. Meaning? Like, like I've never seen an enemy like just pop up out of nowhere or there be like a a black hole in the wall and enemies like swarm out of it. It just seems like really seamless. Like you you hear the music start playing and you know enemies are coming and then all of a sudden you see one enemy here and then you kill that enemy and all of a sudden... You know you've got two or three more on your other side, and so it it does a good job i I wouldn't necessarily say distracting you from seeing where enemies are spawning, but it doesn't feel disjointed like some games do when enemies just kind of drop out of nowhere
1: yeah and I, I I do understand what you're saying because like I think part of it has to do with just how the this world is. Because they can come in on an airship, or they can come in from the sky rails that are the sky rails, like are you know going bobbing and weaving in and uh, throughout the the landscape and the buildings and stuff. So like you could ride a uh, sky rail to a point of the map that you can't even see from like the the entry point of that room, and so it's easy for them to kind of load them in artificially that way. But it doesn't because you don't see it it's super cool to be like, oh well like there was like two enemies and then now there's like six enemies coming in from the sky rails and like the airship is dropping from the left and there's three enemies on that. So it's kinda cool, uh it makes the combat seem a lot more dynamic too, because you have enemies at various heights and, you know, different guns and they're at different um uh, sections of the map. So like you have to address them in different ways. So it is kinda cool to you walk into a room and it's like, okay, how am I going to, this is a completely, like, this is a puzzle. And how am I going to solve this puzzle? You know, I do appreciate that about this game a lot. It makes the combat super fun. Even if I'm only shooting, like, just the different ways that I can take down a room is super fun.
3: One last thing about gameplay that I definitely want to talk about is, I don't even really want to talk about it. There's a mechanic called Infusion's. Which are ah um, uh, yeah yep these potions essentially that you drink and they upgrade either your health, your salt intake, <laughs> or your, your um, salt
1: meter your salt meter <laughs> your salt
3: meter fair um, or your armor. So I'm kind of wondering how everybody's specking out.
1: All right, um, is this is this a new thing? Yeah, because I I do the, the other games had a shield in a. You could I upgrade
3: those but I forget Blasman how.
1: thing, but it was like a different type of collectible. It was definitely different.
3: I don't remember the exact behind the beat, the mechanics, but
1: Okay. Well, I think the way this game, if I'm not mistaken, you can do up to 10 upgrades in any one uh skill or like you know, like you said the you have 10 clicks in health, 10 clicks in shield, and 10 clicks in salt. So um, I'll let you guys go first, because I, I, I'm willing to bet that I have the most. <laughs> so I'll start with uh, you, Greg.
0: I've been specking out for salt and shield mostly because I feel like salt kind of goes with the way that I like to play the game, which is kind of using the vigors in combat. So that was like my main focus, and I haven't really had too many times where I've, I've felt like I was going to die, so I was like, well, specking out the shield is, is kind of useful as well, but I don't really need health because I don't really drop shield very often and if I do, it's pretty easy for me to kind of get it back, so.
1: you know roughly about where you're at? How many clicks in each?
0: I think I've got four on salt and I want to say three on shield.
1: That's it? Dang, that's low.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's it.
1: All right, what where, where are you at, Trevor?
0: So,
2: I play recklessly. Like, I haven't been trying to use any cover, so I need that shield. But I've been putting everything into health and shield. So, I want to say I'm at 8 in health, 7 in shield, and, like, 5 in salts.
1: Okay, okay. And uh, what about you, Dante?
3: Shield for life, man. So... My starting strategy was for every two I put into shield, I'll put one into salt. So ultimately, I got up to 10 shield, and I think I was at five salt. Then I'm like, "Uh, well, maybe I'll put one into health. And then I did that, immediately regretted it, hit that restart button, never looking back, man.
1: Oh, what do you? Uh, you said zero, ten, and one.
3: No, ten and um, five or six. I can't remember.
1: Oh, uh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so um, I was the opposite of you guys because uh, when I when you first get the possess ability, and then you get the next but uh, is the devil's kiss the fire attack? The amount of meter it uses when you use the possess ability compared to anything else was so much more steep. So it was like you could only use two two or three possessed before you cleared your meter, whereas you could do like ten Fireballs to clear it out. So I focused early on Salt because I thought the Possess ability was going to be very strong throughout the entire game. And then you level it up the very first time, and it makes whenever you use it to be a lot less expensive. So by that point, it was I was so far into upgrading my Salt that I just finished it out. So I have ten in salt. I have eight in shield, which, like, I don't really even use shield or health. It seems like, um, because I'm just playing on the normal difficulty because I've never played one of these games. And then, um, I have five in health. So, I yeah, five, eight, and ten, and I'm uh. I'm not really ever hurting for health or shield. Like my shield goes down when I'm fighting like I- enemies that have like rocket launchers or stuff like that, or like explosive weapons. But for the most part, like my shield is never never goes down. So, <laughs> and I I'm also where a lot you're of finding
3: times, all this stuff because
2: dude, I feel like I've been really thorough, dude. Your
3: so... boy's been
1: thorough. Your boy's been thorough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so. Uh... I, I hate to break your or burst your bubble, Marcus, but um, if you did indeed collectors. get that DLC at the beginning, then that comes with I want to say three extra infusions at the beginning.
1: Oh, okay, yep, yep. Because I was like, man, why do we have so? Why do you have so many of these? So that does, yeah, that that checks out. Can- so it's the
2: same room that you got
3: all that
1: gear in, right? Yeah, and the I was saloon. Like, what
3: in the world is he talking yeah, about
1: the saloon? Yeah, <laughs> that checks out. But um. I also did those options. I've done all the optional missions, too.
2: Oh, yeah, like the ciphers?
1: Well, yeah, that and the the chest and the impound.
3: I missed one of those. The I, think, I don't even know how to describe
1: it. I think we've run into, like, three or four at this point, but I've done all of them, too. And I think every, I think every time you do one of those, you get, like, an infusion, I think. But I, I don't know. But uh, you you uh, we have any any other gameplay things? I think we need to get to the story on this podcast as well.
3: <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much like Bionic Commando, so you know, it shouldn't take that long.
1: If you say so. Um, I I honestly I don't. This is going to be rough because I don't I don't I want to be thorough, but at the same time, like I don't want to run long either. So. <sighs> Guess let's let's uh, try to power through this. I don't I don't know that that makes it seem dismissive, but <laughs> let's try to make this quick. You know. All right. So the game starts off. You're playing as a Booker, and as we said, you owe a uh, like a big debt to some guys, and so they task you with going to Columbia, finding some girl named Elizabeth, and bringing her to New York. So it kind of, um, starts off in like a, he's like on a boat <laughs> with some people and they're rowing and it's stormy and they're like, are you amongst themselves and you're kind of getting acclimated. And I feel like it's a good, uh, uh, sleight of hand or, you know, like kind of sh- paying a nod to the, uh, <laughs> the previous games because it's it involves water and it's, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm doing another one of these things. Um, but uh, you, you, I guess you get taken to a lighthouse uh, they, they drop you off and then you're going to have to figure out what's going on and as you're cr- going up the lighthouse you see blood and all this stuff smeared along the walls and you're just trying to find somebody and uh, ultimately the person is dead and you're trying to figure out what's going on you see a seat, you sit in the seat and then everything just like you get strapped in uh, and and ultimately get launched into the sky, and your character is freaking out, and then you're just getting launched higher and higher. You're going through the clouds. And you're just like freaking out, and then it just kind of slows, and you're um, you see like the, the 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 Sky City. You see Columbia for the first time, and this is a very 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 striking moment because it's just like. This it looks gorgeous. It looks like heavenly, you know. <laughs> it the the city looks. I mean, even from a technical aspect, like the lighting in this game. I think Dante was talking about it. Like the lighting in this game is amazing for it being a last gen game. Uh, is there anything you need to to add in, to add in about that, Dante?
3: I mean. The amazing thing about this game, and this is also something that was kind of a big bullet point when it was coming out, at least or a big talking point, I should say, is the fact that it came out right around the launch of the new console. So PS4 was coming out, Xbox One was coming out later that year, that was 2013, and everybody's like, oh my god, I can't wait to see what these games look like on the new console, because we were still in that cycle where everything cross-ported between gens and the fact that they did such a good job with like the PS3 and Xbox 360 hardware it i don't know it's just very impressive overall
1: um but yeah so you you end up getting launched into the, the sky city and you end up being in like a kind of like cathedral like church like area and it's very it's very weird because, like, you're in, like, waist-deep water and there's candles and, like, there's a lot of uh, biblical style verses being, uh, I guess, played over, like, the radio about certain, like, stained-glass scenes of different characters in this world. And so that's where you come to find out about um, Father Comstock. Who's revered is the prophet? He's kind of revered as like the Jesus Christ-like figure uh, or the god-like figure of this city, and um, you see his wife as well, and uh, in these stained gra- in these stained glass uh, pictures, and uh, you meet a lot of uh, clergymen, and they basically say you can't even enter Colombia until you're baptized. So then they damn near drown you, and then, uh, you wake up and you're in front of, like, these three statues of, uh, founding fathers, and they're, like, considered, like, the what is it, like, I guess, like, just, like, biblical kind of, like, references to the city, because it's, like, um, it's George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, and Thomas Jefferson, and they each have, like, a specific attribute to them so like George Washington has the sword Thomas Jefferson has the scroll and Ben Franklin has the key and those represent different virtues of this city so like it's like you know integrity and knowledge and like I I don't remember the other one something like that but um it, it it's a weird like twist of like actual historical figures and then this guy being seen as like a prophet and like a godlike figure in this like fictional town or fictional city.
3: It's a really interesting hyperbolic view on how conservatives, modern like actual US conservatives see the good old days. Where it's like, oh my god, think of how good things were back in the day and everybody could just go to the corner and buy popcorn and everybody was just safe on the streets, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, this is and it does a really pro. good job of creating this bubble of that perception.
2: Uh, it, too far into it before we get to like this, the part that we're going to talk about in the discussion, but it, it harkens back to those very base American ideals. And, and I think Comstock, when he created this city, he looked to those forefathers as like the gods and kind of created a religion around them. And, and that's how they're kind of represented in this instance is they're like godly figures in, in Colombia.
1: It's like a religion around patriotism almost, or, you know, like yeah. you found the founding fathers, you know? And, uh, I think, I think the history with with Colombia was, it said, uh, Columbia was founded by the self-proclaimed prophet Zachary Comstock. Uh, He basically used his connections in Congress to have the government build it, and it was intended to serve as a floating world's fair display for uh, the rest of the world to kind of see about the success of the United States. Um, But later, uh, tensions rose between Columbia and the American government, and they kind of quote-unquote, succeeded from the United States and became its own, I guess, country and its rule as its own ruler and all that. Uh, uh, and so it disappeared into the, the clouds. And basically, people on the United States are aware of it, but they don't know where it's at. So uh, he no longer, it's not a lot of communication from the United States to Colombia. So Comstock pretty much had complete control over the city and became like a, I think it says it's a under his rule, it's a militant pseudo-Christian utopia society that worships him as a divine prophetic figure and the Founding Fathers are basically icons religious icons Um, but it was very striking because it's like wow, this is a very 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 gorgeous like, like heavenly place and then you're dropped in And immediately, at least for me, immediately, I'm like, I need to explore this place. I need to see what's going on. And then, like, I'm walking around, and, like, within the very first uh, interactions that the NPCs are having, like, these aren't even, like, characters that talk to you. They're talking to themselves. And these these two, this man and this woman are eating outside this restaurant um, at this cafe, and they basically said does he have an accent to you? The waiter? It sounded very Hispanic-y to me. Or, like, it, it was very, like, I was like, that's where we are. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, I mean, I guess that makes sense. This is 1912. And I'm just like, it's crazy that it's like, man, like, I could, I could imagine hearing that, like, in 2017. Like, right now.
3: Yeah, knowing what to look out for, um, before the actual, like, before the heel drops and just having knowledge of the game prior. When you start to walk around and start listening to some of those conversations, like, oh, oh, they they were foreshadowing to this in a lot of, like, really clever ways.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I expected, like, John Goodman or Leonardo DiCaprio to to hop out and, and start, um, and you know, start talking to you.
1: <laughs> it was crazy, dude. <laughs> It was just, like, and it's everywhere, too. And then, like, I mean, this is 1912, uh, so diversity isn't necessarily celebrated, but, like, they are, I think everybody gets it except for, like, like, I mean, there's not a lot of Hispanic people in this game, but, like, they talk about the Irish. They talk about um, Buddhists. They talk about Black people. They talk about uh, Asian people. It's, like... It's everybody. It's like if you're not Christian slash white, you are like, you're not worthy of this society. And it, it's crazy. Um, and it's so you, you, the very, very first thing you do in this game is like, uh, as soon as you get baptized, you'll walk around the sea, kind of taking it on the sights. And every, like, you're being led along. Like, it's uh, not less, it's like, the game of characters are talking about some type of um uh what is the event? A um like a fair raffle thing? The the, the yes, the raffle. And everybody's talking about the raffle and like, are you gonna be at the raffle? It's like I wouldn't miss it for the world and everything, you know? And it's it's uh it's a big deal. Like everybody in Columbia is going to this raffle tonight and um so your character is being led along, you know, you're exploring the city and you're, you know, you get into the raffle and then <laughs> the raffle is the opportunity to stone, publicly stone a, uh, mixed race couple. It's a, uh, a Irish man and a black woman. They are, uh, an interracial couple and, uh, Basically, there's a public stoning. And what they do is if, if your number gets called, then you can stone this couple. And it just so happens that your number is the first one that's called. And so the the, the police officer, like, I mean, the, the, this couple is on a stage in front of everybody. They're like kind of chained up. And, you know, they're, they're pleading and, like, don't, you know, don't do this, blah, blah, blah. And everybody's, like, egging you on. And you get the stone. And then you get the... <laughs> The decision to stone them or not, and uh, I hope everybody here didn't stone them.
2: I think you had three
0: options,
1: <laughs> and I think it was like you could stone the police officer or stone the couple or something. And I, I, I don't, I don't know what happens, uh, or I'm assuming that this happens no matter what. But uh, you rear back to throw the rock, and before it, you know, your decision is actually played out. The cop grabs your hand and he looks at the back of your hand and you just some of you have this brand on your right hand that says AD, and in this society, uh, it was said by I believe it was uh, Comstock that the um, what what do they call your character? It's a false the,
0: Shepherd, I think.
1: The false shepherd yeah. will come in with this symbol on his hand. And the cop sees that, grabs your hand, and you immediately—this is the very first combat sequence. You immediately have the sky hook, and then that's when you, um, kind of first fight enemies. And your your the enemies are the police officers, you know, and uh, like you're kind of like. It's almost like I—I I think what they call cops in this uh, society are peacekeepers, and um. They're basically trying to keep the peace and trying to stop you from enacting what the prophet Comstock has said, which is you are going to try to, I guess, rescue slash kidnap the the lamb, uh, which you find out is Elizabeth. And uh,
0: I, I got a quick question, I guess, in this one Um The first time everybody played this, I guess it's a little bit different now, but... Um, I guess the first time when I played it, I was kind of put off by, I guess, how graphic the combat was in this game originally. Like in comparison yes. to <laughs> the other Bioshock games, like has anybody done the execute? Because there, there are executions in this game. Has anybody done those?
1: Yeah, I've been I've been doing the execution, and I will. I think I will say that I think the very first time, like when you first get a um the uh skyhook, the very first. Kill you do is an execution kill. Yeah. And, like, you literally, like, like saw the dude's neck. (laughs) It's very graphic. It goes from being, like, the super... It's really, like, jarring, too. It goes from being this super, like... I won't say real moment, but, like, this super, like... You're about to stone this interracial couple... And then now you just murder this police officer. <laughs> There's
3: just this huge juxtaposition because even with the um, Greg and Trevor might have to help me on this one. With the previous Bioshocks, were they that graphic with like murders and stuff like that? No, not at all. That's what I was thinking. And you kind of go into this game and you're like, oh well, they changed the art style. It's definitely more cartoony. Like the previous Bioshocks were they weren't realistic but they were kind of darker in tone as far as like their color palette for how the world was laid out and whatnot. You get to this one, it's all like sunshine and rainbows. And then you get to the raffle and then you see the mixed couple and then you see monkeys in blackface behind them. It just becomes so ludicrous how like their racism is over the top. Their violence becomes over the top. And then you kind of realize this entire game is kind of like this over the top type of experience.
1: Everything is an excess, you know, like, uh, there's huge sections of like institutionalized racism and like elitism in the city. And like, it's super, there's a huge class, like, like, I think it's basically uh, everybody that lives in the city for the most part is well off. They're like, you know, middle and upper class families or people, and then despite the fact that they're so racist against these people and they live on a floating city that nobody would be able to get to them, they still bring in minorities purposely to the city so they can exploit them for, like, menial labor, you know, cheap labor and, like, just doing menial jobs. So you'll see, at least in the first half of the game, a lot of the um, people of color you see are janitors or they're waiters or they're... um, (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're just there to serve the citizens of Colombia. And uh, so they're basically, you know, they're indentured servants, I guess, because they're not necessarily slaves, but it's like the, the next step up. And um, there's really no form of, like, upward mobility for any of them either. So it's like they are brought here to do this thing and that's all they're going to ever do. And they're going to be just, dis-
2: huh? I was going to say, what's interesting too, is, um, I believe it was on one of the voxophones that you find. Um, you can hear the saying, or hear someone saying how they actually left the States to come to Columbia for a better life.
1: Not knowing that in fact, that it's on par or probably in some ways worse, you know? Yeah. And um yeah, there there's even like a uh, uh, in this game, uh, lower class citizens or like basically all the minorities in this game are called box populi, which uh, like anytime they're being referred to it, it it includes all pet groups. It's the, the Asians, the black people, the Irish people. They're just called Vox Populi. So like even like uh at the rally, some of the fair games have you shooting uh like the target you get to play some carnival style games and the enemies that you're shooting are Vox Populi and they're just like the most over the top stereotypical depictions of black people and Asian people and just and all the people that you're not supposed to shoot are the the white people and they're depicted as like fair and uh, like <laughs> like angelic almost and uh, one of the things um, uh, I, I really like this game, one of the things I like about this game as somebody that is a completionist and I like go over everything in this game so I'm looting everything. I'm taking. I'm soaking in this world like the way I play this game. So like I'm spending my time looking at everything. They have a, um, a couple of collectibles in this game. Uh, they have like a uh, various points throughout the city. They have like uh those telescopes that you can you see at like big cities like New York City and D.C. where you know you put a quarter and you can look at a binoculars, uh, uh, you know, from a vantage point in the city. Well, they have a lot of those in uh, Colombia that you can kind of take in some aspects of the city, but they also have these, like, view, like, w- what do you call the little view master things when we were kids? Is that what they are called? Yeah. But, like, they have yeah. stuff like, huh? I
3: was just saying, like, the little, um, I don't know, like, the, Viewing box or whatever you want. To yeah, yeah,
1: they have these viewing boxes, and there's, I believe, there's like 40 or something in this game, and they play little short movies about background slash history of either important figures, so like some of Comstock's history, or even the history of the city. So it's kind of cool to have like story elements played out this way, and it's it's a hundred percent between that, and then they have a lot of posters. It's all propaganda. It's all uh stuff to paint Colombia as a super patriotic American Christian God fearing style uh utopia and it paints a lot of the minorities and like anybody that doesn't do this as uh not worthy, you know? So it's a hundred percent propaganda, but it's really cool to kinda see how this stuff happens. <laughs> it's, it's...
3: I was just going to say, it's really cool that there's this um, transition between the little viewing boxes, the posters, and then what you actually listen to in the Vox because that's where people get real.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the Vox are, that's, a, that's the thing I do know about Bioshock is audio logs. The audio logs are like the background story. It's the, the details, like the, the dirty details on different aspects and different characters in the game. And in this game, they're called voxaphones, phones. And you get them from a lot of different characters. So you get it from Comstock. You get it from uh, different secondary characters. You get it from Daisy. Uh, so there's a lot of useful information you can find uh, via these box of phones. But even like it, it was funny, like a uh, even something like uh they have radios and phonograph i think was it phonographs or is that what they're called phonographs like the record players before record players and uh they kind of play like the news or like music of the time right and uh there was a radio announcer immediately after the rally. I got into a room and like he was talking he was going over the news and uh, he was like reporting on the initial attack of a uh what did he call you? Um he called you the uh, uh fascist or uh anarchist. He said an anarchist uh attacked our peacekeepers and um god-fearing citizens of Colombia, <laughs> and it's like that's how they in the news, like on the radio, they called you an anarchist, they called the cops peacekeepers, and they call them basically these citizens complicit in racism and like overall just crappy people as God-fearing. And that's like, that was their propaganda. So like they didn't mention at all the fact that there was a public stoning that was happening. It was just like, this dude is bad and these people are God-fearing, so you immediately side with them against this anarchist. And it's like
3: oh you're talking about when they had like that it's like may we have a moment of silence for all the victims of today's
1: all the god-fearing the god-fearing uh victims that were killed by this vicious anarchist you know that's a that's a um uh uh uh, uh, an agent of the vox populi or something like that and it was just like so you just throw these buzzwords and people will hear this, and immediately they're like, this is my side, and that's their side, and or, you know, that's the bad side. And it's like, wow. Like, <laughs> it's a video game, it's fake, but it's like not much as, you know, like 1912, or, you know, their depiction of 1912 is very similar to real life right now. <laughs> and then, oh yeah, there's a, like another, I think it says something like, the PA calls you out as a mulatto dwarf, or a Frenchman missing an eye standing at... Four foot nine, and he calls you an anarchist, and it's just like, what the heck? Like, it's crazy, and like, just even some of the other, um, in your quest to find Elizabeth, some of the things that you come across, like, I, I ran into a house. It was just like a house that I don't think you necessarily. It's like not pertinent to the story. You don't have to go in here, but like these people ended up being like, it said uh, they are part of the society. It's called Meeting of Columbia. Uh, meeting of Columbia Friends of the Negro Society, and their quote was, until the Negro is equal, none of us are equal. And I was like, yo, that's cool. And then it was crazy, because as soon as I got into the room, this lady saw me, and then she goes and runs and screams, and then the police come, and then they start shooting at me. And I'm like, oh, you snitching on me. And, uh, I I had to kill her. I had to kill her. And, um, there's even, like, a, I think that one of the first major story plot points that you got to go to, let me pull it up, is you have to um, go to Monument Island. And at Monument Island, you find out about the crows, right? And that's, and that's where you I get think the so. crow ability. And the crows, like, they have insignias around the entire D of their building and inside their building that are saying protecting our race and it's just like plastered on the floor plastered on the walls and it's like like I was like are the crow like the, the KKK of this society the crow, like, perhaps
2: crow so perhaps the Jim crow I want to I want to bring up something too since she said that did you notice anywhere else where it said protect our race the police yeah
1: yeah <laughs> And it's just like, like,
2: oh, dude, <laughs> I want to I want to say that that is like a parallel, a parallel of like the KKK where, you know, these people have regular jobs or, you know, they might be police officers or um, politicians. And and then at night they go and put on their hoods or their crow heads and and worship whatever cult they're a part of or or hate group. And, and they, I want to say that's the parallel there.
1: And you they kind have, of like,
2: find them in a cold situation, don't you?
1: Yeah. yeah. And on top of that, they they wear a uniform that is like all black. You know, like it's a very like <laughs> striking uniform because a lot of the what people wear in this game are like kind of like suits and things like that. And these dudes wear like these trench coat kind of cloak things, and it's it's just weird. Um, but this game, I don't know, dude. It, it's they go really hard and how they depict uh, the Vox Populi and just like they go hard to paint on like how downtrodden and just like the, the set the distinction and the separation between these two societies. Cause it's like, I mean, at some points people have referred to the Vox as cockroaches and like <laughs> they, um, I was at the, at the beach, like, immediately after you find... And we'll we'll go back to this part, too, but, like, immediately after you find Elizabeth, there's a lady at the beach, and she said, man, times are really changing. And then the, her explanation for that is this oriental person had the audacity to stop at, her on the street and ask her what time it was. And it's like... <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's like, you're so, like, you know, you think so highly of yourself that not only can this person you just asking like, you know, what time it is and you're like, times are changing, things are getting bad. And uh yeah, I mean they have like colored and like colored and Irish only bathrooms in this society too. And <laughs> uh there was a, a a voxophone that I found that this uh it was a, it was from a uh black housekeeper. And she said that uh, when she first arrived to Colombia, she thought she was actually in heaven. And it, like, kind of brought me back to, like, when I first saw Columbia and I saw I was like, yo, this place is beautiful. And then she was like, yeah, it, is, it was beautiful, like a clouded city with clear blue skies. And then she said, till I saw a sea of white faces looking back at her. And she knew what time it was after that. And it was just, like, man, like, it's just so many, like, like I've, I really, really, really like the world that they build. And, like, how they have the, the, the nuances of, like, the different, right now anyways, like, the, the way different groups are tr- treating other different groups. And, like, it, gives, it does a good job of showing perspective from the Vox Populi as well as from rich people. And, you know, like, they... It it's not a, it's a bleak worldview, but I do like the fact that they provided an entire like everybody's point of view.
3: Trevor the um the Voxophone that you brought up in our group chat, I think it's Ty Burrell, the the black janitor. Do you want to go into that at all?
2: Yeah, um, I mean he he was basically you know just saying, um it was it was pretty much him just putting on like an act like whenever he's at work and it it kind of you know reminded me of how you know black people will sometimes put on a different voice when when they're you know around white coworkers that code right? switching yeah and and that's pretty much what he was alluding to in his voxophone
1: I mean there's like straight up like posters and stuff in the bathrooms that say don't speak unless spoken to. And it showed like a smiling black eye or, you know, and uh, (laughs) I mean, even like when you go to the different bathrooms, like if you go to the Irish and the quote unquote Irish and colored only bathrooms, and then you go to the white bathrooms, it's night and day how much nicer they are. And uh, (laughs) it was funny because there was uh, at one point, a character comments and it's like well, eh, I I won't say this, I won't say this. But uh I guess one last thing was uh I think it was I think it was Comstock, but it may have been somebody else. But they said something along the lines of like if I beat my dog, it still obeys me. Once a colored man does the same thing, then it be a lot e life will be a lot easier. And it was just like Man, y'all, like I was like, I hope they don't go any further because now it's just making me very uncomfortable. <laughs> you know,
2: <laughs> like I was, I was really worried playing this game because they use racial epithets against um against Asians, everybody. And I think another group, and I, I was, I was so Ball. worried. You know, they're, they're yeah. dropping in bomb, and I was like, man, please don't do this.
1: Yeah. Irish they call them the
3: potato eaters. Yeah. Yeah so. yeah. so I have a I have a Vox phone. I want to read because this one really stood out to me. So this one's by Comstock. It's number 41, his design for cruelty. To tax the black more than the white, is that not cruel? To forbid the mixing of the races, is that not cruel? To give the vote to the white man and deny it to the yellow, the black the red. Is that not cruel? Hmm. But is it not cruel to banish your children from a perfect garden or drown your flock under an ocean of water? Cruelty can be instructive. And what is Columbia if not the schoolhouse of the Lord? So it just kind of goes into the fact that they kind of acknowledge it's like, yeah, we're, we're being racist, but we're doing it to protect our walled garden, essentially. And it's the Lord's teaching. That's their justification for it all.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
2: I mean, I think a part of it is Columbia being like the city in the sky is basically in a vacuum. And while the rest of the world is slowly progressing um, as far as, you know, giving other groups rights and, um, you know, Columbia is, is still staying in that same mindset. And you can even see it in Elizabeth a little bit. Where she's in that vacuum, but she's isolated to the point where she doesn't have the same sent, uh, sentiments as as everybody else in Columbia. Where she sees some of the um, the mistreatment of other groups, and um, she kind of empathizes with them.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, I. Uh, she's I, like in that young woke phase. She's not even woke. She's just uh, doesn't know. Because like there was one point when she asked. Your character Booker about the bathrooms, and she's just like, "Why is there a whites-only? The color? It just seems like an unnecessary complication." And I'm like, "You get it, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know?" And um, yeah. So it's just, it's they're just basically super, I guess, ultra nationalists uh, the the majority, of the ruling class of the city, and they just want to keep Columbia's privileges purely for the white American Christian citizens and not grant those same rights to the foreigners. And I just looked it up and Vox Populi it's Latin for voice of the people. And it's just like a, a group of people that are fighting for the rights of the same equal rights and treatments of all the other races and religions, you know? And it's, you know, like the, I, they were promised a lot of these people, you know, came to Colombia thinking that they would have a better opportunity than they would on the United States. And when they found out it was in some cases even worse then it's just like, yo, I can't, I can't do this somewhere else. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we do need to, we do need to get into some story stuff too. So, um, Let's try to let's try to get back on let's try to get back onto that track. So we talked about Monument Island. That's where you find Elizabeth. That's where you find Elizabeth, and you kind of uh, find out that so you find out that Elizabeth is the lamb, and she's like the supposed to be. She's Comstock's. Well, she doesn't know this at the time, but she's Comstock's daughter, uh, and uh, she's thought to be basically his successor, right? So he's isolated her to allow, like, maintain her purity, right? Is is that the reasoning beyond be behind that?
3: The seed of the prophet, something,
1: something, something. Okay, yes, yeah, the something's are to keep her pure, probably. But uh, she's guarded by this this giant mecha bird. It's the the songbird, and. uh, you basically steal her away from this tower and immediately get attacked by the bird and he end up de- destroying the tower, but you somehow escape and immediately are washed up on battleship Bay, which is the beach that I was talking about. So Elizabeth, um, she kind of runs off cause she, this is her first time out and about in, the real world, quote unquote, the real world. So she's taking in the sights and the sounds and you end up catching up with her, dancing with some people, um, at the beach. Uh, what is that what I said? Songbird? My bad. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you end up finding, uh, her dancing with some people at the beach and, um, at this point, you convince her, your, Brooker's ulterior motive is to get her to New York to pay off his debt, but he doesn't know how to convince Elizabeth what to do, but he knows that she has a thing for Paris, so he tells her, hey, we're going to take a ride on this aerodrome, uh, and we're going to go to Paris, and so he kind of tricks her into coming with him, because he He's like, we're. I'm going to take you to Paris, and uh, I think you immediately get attacked. Your ship gets attacked, and you end up uh, at the Hall of Heroes, I believe. And this is like a um, like a museum, memorial. Memorial, like a museum or memorial that is um, built to honor these battles, and I believe it's United. You know, Columbia's history, I guess, um, they are,
3: uh, one's wounded uh, knee. I remember that much.
1: Yeah. One is wounded knee. I, I forgot what the, the, or it's something with the, is something with Asian people.
0: Uh, 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 is it boxer rebellion?
1: Yes, that's what it is. So you basically, they have these two exhibits that are, um, built to uh memorialize the box rebellion and wounded knee so it's uh these two big battles that the city of columbia was um uh built or like around the time that the uh the city was built like they took part in these two uh wars and um i thought this part was really cool because they had a um the exhibit had a lot of history about the the early days of Columbia, so it was cool to see kind of like, oh, this was when Columbia was still like part of the United States. They took part in these things, and on, on top of that, um, it the was history a, is racist. Yeah, the history is racist. Uh, on top of that, you get to learn some insight about Booker because apparently he fought in Wounded Knee and uh he uh, uh, this is one of the few or one of the earlier times that him and uh elizabeth have a heart to heart about his background and his past because she's very put off about his violent ways cuz he's going around protecting her but he's killing on her you know while protecting her and she being a naive girl this is her first time being around this type of behavior and she doesn't necessarily like it, but he's kind of painting it. as these guys are preventing you from going to Paris and I have to do what I have to do in order for us to get there. Cause they're trying to stop us. We can't have that, you know, but you get a um, bunch of cool background information about uh, Booker and just the city it- itself. And um I think it ultimately leads up you're you're trying to get I think it's a, a a piece to power, the the aerodrome, and you're trying to get it from this person, uh Slate. Uh command is it something slate, Commander Slate? Cornelius Slate. Cornelius Slate, yeah, yeah. And he was a war hero, a disgraced, I guess you could say war hero. Um that uh He allied with the Vox Populi, and uh, he ended up getting, like, kind of, his legacy was ruined or whatever. So he was actually a war hero at the Wounded Knee, the Battle of Wounded Knee. But in this uh, monument, uh, this museum that was built to memorialize that fight, It was Comstock that was viewed as the hero, even though he didn't even take part in the in the fight, and it kind of tarnished Slate's legacy. (laughs) So he, uh, him messing with the box, ruined his legacy reputation around uh, Columbia, and um, ultimately, you go through uh, a second part. You go through a second part of the Hall of Heroes. Um, and, and this, it has the history of, uh, I think the first lady exhibit has the history of the Comstocks and like their life. And it's, um, you find out that, uh, this is where Elizabeth finds out that she's actually, um, the, the, the seed of, uh, the seed of Comstock. And she finds out the, she's trying to figure out why was I locked away in a tower and uh, her mother, the first lady, um, she was murdered by this woman named uh, Daisy Fitzroy, who is the leader of the resistance group, the Vox Populi. And it depicts Comstock chasing them off into the underbelly of the underbelly of uh, Colombia. And uh, I really, really like it's a, it's a monument that they are like a Exhibit that you can walk through. And, like, this particular exhibit is super, super powerful uh, to me, because like, you're seeing the box populi, for the most part, and this game is usually depicted as being a bunch of African Americans, a bunch of uh, black folks, and you see this super godly looking, like a Zeus, like this dude has a flowing beard, and the way the the room is set up as like the light. It's it's set in like a, a, a midnight or like a nighttime aspect, and he has like this light just illuminating his his figure, like he's like a godly or holy figure, and he's chasing these menacing uh, black folks into uh, over this bridge, and a lot of them are falling into this this pit of lava, and they have like super uh, characterized facial expressions and just features. And it's just like a super, like, I can imagine being there in real life. And it's just, like, soaking it all up and just seeing this dude as a hero. And, like, me as the player, I'm like, they are really hamming this up and, like, going all out on this propaganda uh, train. But I... That was, like, a super, like... I really like the Hall of Heroes, and that part was like, it sealed the deal. And I was like, this is probably going to be my favorite part of this game. Because, like, they just do a, such a good job of, like, I'm imagining what this game and, like, me being in this place would actually be like as a Columbia citizen. And, like, I don't get that in video games. Uh, does anybody need to? Did, was, was I the only one that was affected by the Hall of Heroes, I guess? Did, did you guys like this section as much as I did?
0: I thought it was pretty cool, but I, I don't really think I was oh, I don't know. I think the encounters there were kind of cool and just the setting was uh was also good, but I don't really think I was super wild but I think I like the Finkton section a little bit more than uh than this. You
1: act <laughs> <laughs>
3: Aesthetically, I thought it was really impressive. Just They don't really incorporate too much of the background into gameplay, per se, but just the fact that you're fighting at this museum that has all of these, like, it's very, like, 1920s, very corny, like, wooden cutouts of stuff. And, um, well, the first part of the museum is like that. The part that Marcus is is getting into is a little bit more elaborate. But the fact that you're just fighting in this really unique environment, it's like, okay, all of these assets, they can't be reused anywhere else. This is a very specific slice of the game that you're not going to see anywhere else. And I really appreciate that. And also the way, um, this is something I meant to bring up way back at the beginning at the church, just how they tell the story through these monuments, is really interesting. Like how they lay out the entire crux of Columbia with Comstock um, and essentially him producing the Seed of the Prophet early on. Now they're showing you his wife's side of things, where she was murdered by um, Daisy Fitzroy, who was leading the Vox Rebellion. And kind of just seeing those caricatures that Marcus was talking about it's all very impressive how they managed to do that.
1: Yeah. And um, ultimately, I think you you need electricity to get, like... Uh, that's what you're looking for to power up the aerodrome. And at the very end, this entire time you're in this Hall of Heroes, slates over the loudspeaker, egging you on and just trash-talking you the entire way, you end up finding him in this final room. And he's just a weak shell of a man and, like... Not, he's just like an old, feeble old man and uh, handicapped, even like he has like an eye patch and like a super severely scarred face and all that. And he kind of just hands you over to the shock jockey, which is the electricity power that you use to power up uh, the ship. And yeah, I think you get the opportunity to kill him. And do, do you guys kill him? Uh, it's not like I don't, I don't, the game. I think it just dictates whether he shows up again in the game. But did you guys kill him or did you guys spare him? I spared him. Trevor? Spared him. Dante? Spare. Okay, we all spared him then. Cool, cool, cool. So, um... The, uh... Uh... I thought he was cool. That That was one of the reasons why I, uh i I spared him. but um you you power up your airship and uh elizabeth are you 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 type in the coordinates for New York and Elizabeth because she's been locked in this tower, she's read a lot she real- she sees the coordinates and realizes you're not on course to go to Paris, you're going to New York, and she freaks out and knocks you out, and basically escapes the airship, and you're tasked with finding her, so you uh, are chasing her through the Fington docks, and Fington is this uh, manufacturing, like, it's the major manufacturer of the city. They they create a lot of the goods in the town, and it's run by this super, like, rich, skeezy businessman, and he's, like, making sure to keep his people down by you know he's like the worst type of <laughs> business practices like early early 1910 so uh, basically oh these people are in debt to me because you know I built them they live on my property they live in my houses. uh they buy my products and I pay them. So I'm only going to give them enough to like, you know, get by on a day to day or a weekly basis, but they'll never pay back their debt to me. So I basically own them as, you know, they're my property, essentially. Uh, Kind of like a, (laughs) that's very similar to how things were run uh, back then. If you read the book, uh, the jungle, I think it's called the jungle by Upton Sinclair about the meatpacking industry and it's very reminiscent of that so it was a good uh nod to business practices that were actually happening at the time and uh so you're you're going through the the docks trying to find Elizabeth and the I, I don't remember his first name do you remember Finkton's first name or Fink's first name The
2: Joseph
1: Jeremiah Jeremiah
2: Jeremiah yeah
1: and uh he literally calls you out. He sees that you're there and he's in the... He's looking for a new head of security after a recent uprising and he had to, I think, fire or kill. I don't remember his last head of security. Um, So he sees you and knows about your past, like your wounded knee and all... History and all that. So he sends one of his, his guys to come fetch you and Give you the the finer things, so it's kind of convince you to be his head of security. And did uh, we
0: I, skip the part where Fitzroy takes the the ship, or does that ha- I can't remember if that happened after that? Or- that's I think it an introduction
3: after. to Finkton if
1: I recall. Is it? I thought so. I thought. You might be right then. You might be right. I thought. Yeah, I think. Yeah, because she kicks you off the ship into Finkton Docks. Okay, at Finkton Docks, uh, that's when you're trying to chase Elizabeth. Then it's when you get to the the Finkton proper. Is when you she takes over the ship.
3: Right, Finkton Docks is the first part of Finkton, and that's where she kicks you off of the ship in the first place.
0: Because I thought she hits you with the wrench when you tell her.
1: Uh, but Elizabeth does.
0: Yeah yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. But you wake up to um,
1: Daisy, if I recall, right? Yeah,
2: that's right.
3: Okay, okay.
1: So, my bad. So, you get knocked out by Elizabeth, and uh, you wake up, you come to, and Elizabeth has run off, and you're seeing this girl, and it ends up being Daisy Fitzroy, this African American uh, lady that's in, she's the rebel leader, the resistance leader of the Vox Populi and she basically says this is my airship and you're like no, like, you don't go down like that and she said I'll tell you what you get me these guns from the rebellion for the Vox and you can have your ship back and so he makes this deal with her and so he's has to find Elizabeth and he also uh, wants to get these guns for the Vox so he can get the airship uh, so then, yeah, then you're traveling through the docks, and it's a lot of, like, industrial, like, a lot of, like, steam and uh, workers, people, like, working on machinery and stuff like that. It's like a factory environment. And
0: uh, Going back to the kind of the racial tone of the game, isn't there a scene when you're coming to the docks where you see, like, what looks like a bunch of slaves kind of mining something?
1: If yeah, yeah. And then, like, uh, on top of that, too, it seems like they have, like, a – this is very reminiscent of how it was in the jungle as well, but people showing up, you know, super early in the morning to the gates, them having a quota for, like, okay, we need 20 workers today, 40 people will show up. 20 people are getting through the other 20 people are getting turned away and not having any source of income to feed themselves or their family that day. And so that happens, that happens in this as well where you're seeing like a lot of people that don't have anything to do, you know, have no money and they're being turned away and they're like starving. And, you know, they, they're like, well, what if I come back and you know, tomorrow, will I get work? And just a lot of people in really bad really bad shape, really
3: bad situation. You also see a little bit of their culture too. Um, You notice they're singing or they have some type of hymn that they're, you know, saying as they're trying to get through their long day. I thought that was a really nice touch just to kind of, you know, stick the nail into the coffin, quote unquote, with this whole, like, these are really bad um, situations this is very evocative of like slavery and essentially it's modern day slavery, the factories. So they did a really good job of invoking that in my opinion.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Um, I think at this point you're, you get to, you're at the Finkton and you're like, okay, I need to, the guns aren't here. I need to go even lower to the, the seedier underbellies of, uh, or after you catch up with Elizabeth, you need to go to the seedier underbellies of uh, Columbia. So then you go to shantytown and this is where the poorest of the poor work. So there is no hope for jobs. Uh, These people are essentially homeless, downtrodden, and they're like in the worst of shape. And um, here is where you find the gunsmith. I think his name is Chin Li, and uh, he is uh, an Asian, uh, a Chinese man, and he has a tower where he is supposedly making guns. And the first time you are, you go, you get there, and you go up to the tower, and there's nobody there, and you uh, start heading down and you find out, you see his wife praying at a Buddhist uh, altar and you learn from her that because he's different, he's Buddhist, he got taken by the police and is in prison. So you have to go to prison to uh, break him out. And um, I believe at this point is when you find out that Elizabeth has powers, like you've seen her What's that? What's that, Dante?
3: Okay, this is going to bother me, and maybe maybe we have mentioned it, maybe we haven't. But have we mentioned that Elizabeth can make tears into different realities
1: and stuff? No, oh, that I mean that's what we're getting to. She's been doing that for a while, though. Uh, at this point, okay, well, yeah. Hey, man, this game is all. Over. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm trying to go through. I'm trying to because <laughs> I was like, that. oh my god, if we get to the end without mentioning
3: that Elizabeth has these weird time space powers,
1: we well, okay, okay our so. She's been using it throughout in combat scenarios. So she has this ability. You see her use it when you first find her, but she doesn't necessarily use it to benefit you. But later on in combat scenarios, she can do this thing where she can bring in things that she's seen into the current reality, I guess you could say. So she can bring something from a, uh, a different point in the world into your world. So in the combat scenarios, she can like spawn a turret that shouldn't be there. She can spawn it into existence or a grapple point, so you have another vantage point or like a box of health packs or a box of ammo. So um, it's a another ability, I guess you could say that you have. She doesn't help out like literally take out enemies in, during combat, but using this ability, you kind of spawn cover, you can spawn an additional uh, turret to help you out, you can spawn ammo, spawn health packs, Um, and uh, so there's every combat scenario you get into, big ones anyways, the ones that have the the sky rails and everything, uh, there is three, at least three to sometimes five or even six tears in the environment that you can activate and you can only have one activated at a time so I think you realistically uh, if you're playing the game quote unquote right you're going to have, be cycling through these different sections and having different tears up for different scenarios is that how you guys approach combat once the tear stuff was available to you? Start with you Trevor Um, honestly,
2: no, I didn't really use, well, the only tears I used were the ones that had like the, the automated guns, turrets that you could bring in. Other than that, I really didn't use them. Like I didn't use the, the ones that give you, um, ammo or health supplies. Um, yeah, basically just the, the gun turrets.
1: Dante?
3: So I generally use a good mix. The turrets are obviously first pick if I have options to use those. But especially after you talked about um, possessing the machines to get extra currency, I started really capitalizing on um, Elizabeth willing those into existence, like the vials of salt or whatever. And I'd go through a combat scenario use whatever I had left over from my salts to possess the machines that are close locally, have her spawn in the salt, the other dimension salt, I guess, or whatever, and use those to restock afterwards. And, I mean, you you get a good variety of things, like there's cover, there's hooks, there's the turrets, there's um, health packs, weapons, and salt. I think there might be like one or two other things that she can well into existence.
1: Greg, anything that we left out?
0: <laughs> no, I mean I think that pretty much touched on everything. Most most of what I ended up doing was kind of like what Trevor said was I just use use it for turrets, basically uh, the automated guns, and then um, every now and then I'd use it for health if I was getting kind of low on health. But outside of that, mostly just kind of for the automated weapons.
1: Yeah, for the most part I used it for turrets and when they would destroy that then I would use it for cover, but that was about it. But that, yeah, that is something that they add uh combat wise. So that's like another tool to your arsenal that you have. From there uh so like I said you go to the gunship or excuse me the gunsmith shop and find out that he's in prison and then you leave and you immediately fight uh, I think the handyman and he's like this big bad I think in this game they're uh, physically challenged people that aren't seen as like uh, proper uh, fit members of society so what they do is they put them in these metal suits and then they like the these big hulking suits, and they uh, work in the uh, think manufacturing plants and at the docks, and they are super, <laughs> super strong. They take a lot of uh, damage. Uh, they do a lot of damage, and they are very mobile. Um, did you guys... Are they, like, the Big Daddy equivalent in this game? Like, I, Does anybody know?
0: I feel um, like the song of as- like the... Big Daddy, or I guess the song where it's kind of the Big Daddy equivalent, I guess. What's yeah. The as, as,
2: as far and as combat, that we the, know. Right, right. as far as combat, I think the Hangman are to the Big Daddies, but other than that, um, I can't see any other parallels. The,
3: there's a parallel in regards to how they're constructed, I guess. Tragic they're figures. They're like, kind of the progenitor, as far as, I don't want to say use, but like, the methodology behind them, they're these like, humanoid type creatures, put into this, suit of iron. But, the role of the big guy, Big Daddy, is completely different, than the role of a handyman. I gotcha,
1: I gotcha. But, um, yeah, these guys are like, taken from their families, and are uh, live in these suits and they just work. That's what they're there for. Um, but it's just, it's it's a slightly higher status class position than the actual workers. And I think part of that is because they're like white dudes. They're just like they're not necessarily physically capable in the real world, but at least they're white, so they get these suits and then they are the bosses over the. <laughs> the minorities and all the the people working in the fields and or not the fields the the factories, so at least that they're white, so they can at least you know they have some status still um but uh yeah, so you you um after you take out the handyman you have you head to shantytown, which is where the prison is located, so you can find Shen Lin, and it is in Shantytown. Uh, you end up finding him in the prison, but he's been murdered. He's been beaten to a pulp. And at this point, you are like, well, there's nothing we can do. We can't get these guns. We can't get our airship back. We're stuck. And then Elizabeth's like, well, I can do a tear. And then you, this is the first time that she uses the tear outside of combat to help out. There's that
2: dead horse.
1: Sure. All right, man. <laughs> I'm just story. saying. You're right. You're right, though. She she uses it earlier um, to not in this story beat, but it's like uh, basically she can not only bring in aspects from other places into where you're at, but she can go, you can open up Terra's reality and go through it and be basically Brought back into time in that space. So this room that this uh, this horse was killed in this field, she was basically able to bring it back alive to a point where it, uh, go back in time to a point before it was dead.
3: Well, the the really interesting thing about this, and we definitely don't have time to talk about the previous like the launch trailer for this game. Long story short, there is some cut content, but. The horse that Marcus is talking about, she opens a tear, and it actually takes you to 1970s Paris, I'd like to say. Yeah, and that's right. it's hard. showing um, Return of the Jedi, or something it's like Revenge of the Jedi, I think, is their way of getting around any legal trouble. And I think you hear like a Tears for Fear song or something playing in the background, too. Shout it's like
1: really nice. <laughs> <laughs> really nice moment. And you, like, as the player, I mean, you're you're from the 1912s, and you have, like, what is going on? Where are we? You know, what the heck? And then you get ripped back to your current reality, and the horse is dead again. So she unsuccessfully uh, opened that reality or went to that reality. Well, at this point, she has figured out how to harness her power so you're able to go back to a time before Chin was even brought to that room to be killed, so then you're like, okay, we need to go back to Finkton and go to his his shop and get his guns, because he's still alive. So then you go back to his shop only to find out that he's still not there. He's, uh... No, he is there, right? He's there, but he can't interact with you, right? Is, Is that the... He can't, like, speak with you. He's just talking to himself.
0: Yeah, he's that's got it or he's going something crazy going on.
1: It it's really weird. So he's, like, you're talking to him, and he's, like, saying, he's responding. But what he's saying doesn't match or doesn't sh- is not an answer to what you're saying to him. So you're, like, something is going on. So then you go back downstairs, and in the same exact spot, that Buddhist altar, there's a woman. And you're thinking, oh, this is, oh, it's not his wife because she looks nothing like his wife. And then you say, excuse me, ma'am, where is Chin Lin's wife? And she says, I am Chin Lin's wife. And it is a white lady instead of an Asian lady. And you're like, what the heck is happening? So she, you went back into time or an alternate reality, and it kind of messed everything up. And, like, you're like, what, what is going on? And, um, am I, am I, did I got everything so far? Yeah. Was he, he wasn't afflicted with
3: the same thing that the people you murdered were afflicted with? I don't
1: know. With.
3: So, one of the weird things that happens after you go through the portal, everybody that you murdered, up to that point, essentially, in that building. They, they're they back alive, but they have memories of being dead, and they're kind of in this weird, like, limbo state, where you can see part of their spirit, I guess, shift out of their body. They don't attack you at this point. They're just kind of distraught and confused. And I honestly don't remember too much about Shin Lin, so I can't really recall what state he was in. But he was murdered, um, by this point, at least in the original timeline or whatever,
1: yeah. And I so I think when you talk to his wife, that this new lady, this white lady, she's like, "Oh, my husband, he's been taken to the Good Times Club." So you know, so you're thinking, "Oh, if I go there and find the chin of this reality, then it's going to fix this other chin." So then that way I can get the guns. So then you go to the Good Time Club. And you end up fighting, like, a huge uh, gang of uh, dudes, and...
0: I think um, it's actually you got to get his tools, right? I'm a- yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. You have to get his tools so he can work on the... Um, work weapons, on the right? Huh?
3: I was just saying this whole thing is to
1: get weapons, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he needs his tools so he can work on the guns. So then, that way you get the airship, and uh, at this point, you uh, find his tools in the prison, uh, and you don't have a no, way no, of no. getting them out. No, yeah, like he, you go. I think you go to the prison where, or you go to the spot, uh, the impound, this police station where his tools being held and they're not there so then she elizabeth opens up another tear to try to go to the point where his tools are there and then you're back in time or you're in another alternative reality now and the building is being uh attacked by cannons and being like you're being shook and like um things are happening and uh it ends up being like there's the Vox uh, Populi are rebelling and they're attacking the um, all the the peacekeepers and everybody in Shantytown. They're trying to uprise. And so you exit the the police station and at this point this is the first time in the game besides when you use the ability, that you actually have allies and they're human enemies or excuse me, human teammates that run and shoot and you know they do things with you and it's a cool change of pace because uh, they are taking out cops just like you but these guys are like super vicious so like you're seeing cutscenes of them like stabbing and <laughs> like police officers on their knees in front of them and then just ex- execution style killing them it's crazy and it's it's very. And this is another uh, instance where the game
0: is just very brutal. And like it just it
1: just jumps. Um. But at this point, uh, you ha- do you even you 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 head back? Do you even get the uh, things that you need from the chin fortune? well. well-
2: What happens is once you're at the impound, um, that's when you find the weapons. But Booker realizes, hey, I don't have a way to carry all these weapons out of here. And so that's when Elizabeth opens up another tear um, so that the weapon, like before the weapons are impounded and they're back where they're supposed to be. And so I guess at that point, that's when they get into the hands of the Vox Populi.
1: So they can oh, start can the start uprising. That. Yeah. Gotcha. One gotcha.
3: quick thing. Um, so you're in this um, prison area. And if you go cell by cell, because you're trying to find Chinlin, Lin, right? And um, one of the cells leading up to him has Cornelius, if you chose to spare him. And you notice he's in a pretty bad state. <laughs> Did anybody else see this?
0: Yeah, Wait, was he the in the first this, cell on the right where there's like a gun in there or something like that?
3: I think he's in the one right before the one you need to go to.
0: I think I remember seeing him in there.
3: And Elizabeth's like, oh God, Booker, what did we do? And yeah. that was actually the point where I kind of changed my mind and I killed him at that point instead of the first point.
1: I let him move.
3: <laughs> and. Elizabeth even has a specific line of dialogue and she's like, well, I guess that's what he wanted in the first place.
1: Real, man, that's real. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so, yeah, so because you went back in time in the impound or the police station, the Fox Populi have their guns, so when you leave, that's why there, or when you go through that tear, that's why there's the cannons and all that uprising happening is because they have their guns. So at this point you're running back you're trying to backtrack all the way to um Daisy at the airship and uh while you're heading back you're seeing like all these I mean they had like two uh they had people like shackled up in like a uh, the the ox torture thing uh the, the, what is it the ox stock. The thing where you put your arms in your head through something—I I forgot that type of torture device. It's like a public shaming thing. They had two people, two black people, in one of those right outside the police play, uh, police station. And then when you go back in this alternate reality, one of the girls is like, she's just chilling. She's like free, and she's just chilling, just singing her her heart out, you know, just talking about being free and all that. And it was kind of cool. And uh, you're um. Like I said, you're backtracking to get to Daisy, and um, you start seeing posters, and they're propaganda posters depicting Booker, and some of the people around you, some of the Fox Populi are saying, "Whoa, I thought you know," they were like, "I thought you were dead," and you kind of find out that in this timeline. Uh, Booker dies in the main timeline getting guns for the boxed populi and is deemed as a hero, and that's why he's depicted on the propaganda posters. Um, so uh, you are backtracking and you end up, you know, getting to Finkton. You get to the Finkton factory. And at the factory, you see Daisy. uh, She's on the intercom or something, and she's speaking to you. And she basically, in this timeline, you're supposed to be dead. So she sees you and thinks you're a ghost or a clone, and she doesn't believe you're the real booker. So she is, you know, doesn't not even uphold her into the bargain, but she's like, you're not real. She doesn't believe you're a real thing. And because of the uprising, she has got Fink, who's been the guy, the the person that uh, they're currently rebelling against at the Fink uh, factory. She has him cornered in an elevator, and she ends up shooting him in this elevator. Uh, he's in there with his son. And... Um, you end up, uh, Elizabeth, she, because she's kind of naive, she's like, we have to save his son. So you have to get me in there. And so you kind of have to boost her up. Uh, and this is like one of the few times that she kind of is useful, I guess, besides using the tears and you, you kind of boost her up. Then you have to distract Elizabeth while she's holding his son, uh, fixed son in a hostage gunpoint situation. And you're talking to her and uh, she's kind of saying like I know what our agreement was but you're a clone or a ghost and you being alive complicates the narrative. Like you were the reason why we got the guns. Like we, we were able to use you as a propaganda tool and you being alive like it, it shows that everything we did was like a, a farce almost. And it wasn't like the real reason isn't like the fact, you know, you're alive, so it just complicates things, and uh, so uh, she's, while well, she's talking to you and explaining that she's about to kill the son and then Elizabeth comes up behind her and stabs her, stabs her and uh, kills her, family kills her, or wounds her, so she dies and this kind of upsets Elizabeth and she's kind of like I can't believe I've stooped to that level I, you know like I killed somebody and all that so she's like super upset about that but uh, you guys are able to board the airship that you were promised from Daisy and that is the point where we have gotten up to correct? Is that are we up to speed? Is that where we, we stopped off? Stop that.
2: That's where I stopped.
1: Yep. Yep. Holy crap, <laughs> dude, that was a lot. And I, I, I'm sorry if we, like I glossed over stuff, but I was just trying to get through it. Yeah, I feel
0: like there's like small stuff we gloss over, but it's like just it's- one tiny
3: thing. I just want to, because this is a common criticism of this game. Okay, how it kind of does the um, both sides ism of the um, rebellion. So, yeah, I was just going to say, once you go through those tears, the more and more you go through the tears, the more and more Fitzroy kind of takes on Comstock's persona with how she handles the Vox Populi as a whole, and she kind of doesn't run it any better.
1: Yeah, I definitely see that. Like, I it's It's funny because, like, the... All I know about this game is that it's not the ending, and like the the story. There's certain parts that aren't addressed, and it's like not satisfying for people. Where it's like we've seen, you know, them, these minority vox populi downtrodden the entire game, and then when they're in power or whatever, they're not even depicted in any like they're no much. They're not any better than what the white people were doing, basically. And it's like, uh, I feel like the first half of this game, I would say up until the Finkton stuff, the Shantytown stuff, uh, I liked this game. And I was like, this is cool. But I was like, I know the other foot's going to drop. When is it going to drop? When is it going to drop? And I could kind of see it's like, oh, it's dropping now. This is happening. And like, I have an idea of where this game is going, uh, but I'm not going to say anything right now. And I don't, I don't want you guys to say anything to me to spoil it, but it's- I'll
3: spoil it. No, you don't.
1: <laughs> I don't
3: No, Cause this game is
1: weird. I feel like, I feel like what's going to happen is you go from like being a person for, you know, justice, I guess you could say, and like being apathetic or, uh, showing a uh, empathy for the uh the vox populi and then you're going to be like oh the vox populi are a problem we have to kill them so you go from being like i'm a white person and i'm killing other white people to and like you know empathetic to the black and brown people or you know the, the brown and yellow people, you know, the minorities and now it's like, oh they're uprising, we have to stop them and you're going to go to be killing all the minorities and I feel like that's where this game is going. Don't tell me if I'm right, but I feel like that's where it's going.
3: You Um, said not to say a word, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So,
1: um Well, you never
3: said this, can we tell you if you're wrong?
1: I mean, (laughs) you can tell me if I'm Wrong, but I guess don't tell me if I'm right.
3: (laughs) I feel like saying one would spoil the other. Yeah, (laughs) okay, okay.
1: Don't say it. Don't say it. Um, Is there anything else that we need to touch on story wise? Like, I'm I'm, listeners. I'm sorry we had to like breeze through. Um, I think we hit a lot of the major plot points and like some of the major. I think we hit the discussion things that we needed to hit. So. There is that, but is there anything else that we need to touch on before we wrap it up? I take that as enough. I'm good. Yeah, we're good. All right. So, with that, um, that's going to conclude, I guess, our first part of Bioshock Infinite. Um, I'm assuming we don't have any questions, Greg. Is that correct?
0: Nope. Got the email pulled up. Uh, no questions, but you guys can always uh, submit any questions or concerns or any discussions you want to partake in on the current game we're playing at miss checkpoints at gmail.com.
1: Awesome. Okay. So we'll do the, the plugs. So as always um, check out us on Facebook at, Facebook.com slash Miss Checkpoints. Also, make sure to like slash subscribe to us on all the major podcast uh, streaming apps and areas. So we're on Facebook. Uh, I was supposed to say Facebook. We're on uh, Google. We're on iTunes. Um, you can probably find us through your favorite podcast app as well. Uh, Trevor, where can people find you at?
2: You can find me on Twitter and Xbox Live. PlayStation Network, at Luke and
1: Song. Greg? Uh,
0: You can find me on Twitter at Boombox Hero, uh, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Boombox Hero, and on Twitch at Twitch.tv slash XDRDMagnegroX. Dante?
3: All right. um, I'm going to use this to plug my blog, DanteThinksOutloud.wordpress.com. Just wrote a write-up for 2014 Game of the Year, taking it back a couple. Ooh,
1: uh, how topical. Yeah. Um, and you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, um, Facebook and Twitter, Potato Salad. The O's are zeros. The S is a five. There's no space on my Facebook. And there is a underscore on in between Potato and Salad on Twitter. And I guess with that, uh, that concludes our part one discussion of Bioshock Infinite. Uh, I guess till next time, we'll catch you guys later. Peace.